I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move Happy holidays, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Like to Movie Movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I'm going to be your host this evening as we go through the top 10 movies of 2022. I have a special guest on the show today, a friend of the show, a fan of the show, and now guest of the show. He goes by Cozy Rye on all social media, C-O-Z-Y-R-Y. We call him Ryan here, but uh, at Cozy Rye on all things, so make sure you check him out on Letterboxd, Twitter, all of that fun stuff. He's going to be counting down his top 10 of 2022 as well. So again, thank you so much for a wonderful year of Movie Movie. I know that releases were sparing this year, but um, it has been a time of change and hopefully a time of growth. And coming in the new year, there's going to be some very... Very exciting stuff coming from I Like to Movie Movie. I know that I keep saying that, but this time I actually mean it because I'm excited to announce that in 2023, this is going to go back to being a two-hander, to use industry terms. That's right. My buddy in podcasting, Stephen Richards, co-host of Hot Property Podcast, which you can find at Hot Property Pod, is going to be joining me as co-host of I Like to Movie Movie. I'm going to be returning to a bi-weekly release schedule, alternating between this and Hot Property. Uh, very much looking forward to bringing what Stephen has to the show and discussing movies with one of my best buds in the whole world. So uh, stay tuned for that. Follow everything at Movie Movie Cast for all of the exciting new developments. And 2023 is going to be an awesome year for the show. Um, thank you for surviving 2022 with me. And a huge thank you to this week's guest, Cozy Rye, who stuck with us from the very beginning all the way through these times, and will hopefully stay with us through 2023. And as evidenced by the fun that we have on tonight's episode, uh, we'll hopefully be coming back. Be, be, be. We'll hopefully be coming back to join me on yet another episode. So, uh, without further ado, I present to you the top ten movies of 2022. In putting together your top ten list of 2022, I always like to put a put out the rules that I had for myself as to how I came to these. So I wonder if there was, if there was any, what was like the criteria that you were looking to fill in doing a top 10 list? I'm so glad you brought this up because it's tough. And I think we both probably end up doing like the same thing. And uh, I think obviously the big one, maybe the big, like three things, one, obviously what were literally my favorite movies. Sure. Two, two, I kind of like to take in like cinematic experiences, which are kind of like, I don't know, they seem like seldom that they pop up for me, mm. but um, something that I like just was blown away by like the theatrical experience. So, and then three, like, what can I talk about that maybe not other people are talking about? So kind of like these, maybe like indie ones that will be popping up over the next year that I got to see and film festivals that I really love this year. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. give the, give them some like light to shine basically. Right on, right on. Uh, similar. I, for mine, my main thing is typically like what stuck with me, right? You know, yeah. what kind of things did I think about long after the movie ended? And to me that adds to the entertainment value. 
because it's like, all right, you entertain me for 90 minutes. And if it stops there, that's great. You've done your job. But if like weeks later, I'm still thinking about it and we add that time together, it's like, damn, I got like 10 hours of entertainment out of this movie. Yeah. You know, so that kind of shit sticks with me. Uh, Craft is another thing, which is sort of similar to like you're saying about a theatrical experience. There's uh, a couple movies on, on my list that like, I found myself barely paying attention to the movie because I was just agape with watching what was happening literally on the screen. And then, you know, the last one is just, did I like it? You know, what's the movie that I liked? And so I didn't really, in previous years back when I was like higher on the idea of comic book movies, I had, you know, like, oh, I, you know, I'm not going to put the Avengers on there because you already know that I like it. Totally, yeah. I don't have anything like that this year. I didn't opt to leave anything out. But I will say that in getting down to just like the 15 on my list, I broke my heart a hundred times because <laughs> I think it was a really good year overall. Yeah, that's, I, I would, I, I mean, I, I say that, that every year, but you know. Yeah. But no, I think you speak to it. And it's like, if you expose yourself to literally like as much as possible, how can any year be like a bad year? Yeah. Especially you like know, attending festivals and stuff. I mean, there's just, there's so much out there that if you're having a bad year, just kind of just maybe switch lanes or just go after something like you have no idea if it would work for you or you know open 100 yeah it drives me nuts when people are like oh there's nothing new there's nothing good and it's like you just yeah. gotta look a little harder i would agree yeah. that like the multiplex is increasingly saturated with things that aren't so new sure, sure. but i mean hell i saw crimes of the future in uh, a theater this year so you know there Thanks. is little yeah. areas where it peaks through terrifier 2 had this fucking manic theater- theatrical run out of nowhere yeah. yeah and and that's like pretty local it's you know it's right there there is stuff out there to see if you so look for sure and so you said you went to denver film festival and another one i went to tiff this year too so oh my uh, god up, up i might both. try and go to that dude i would yes highly recommend it was just incredible a lot of people were like you know what like what's toronto like and i'm just like i don't know i lived in the theater like every day yeah there so tough for me to say but i mean like their their cinemas are like absolutely beautiful and like oh, access so to the things that I got to see. Um, and, and it all reflects in my list too, I'd say for sure. Right on. Yeah, I did. Uh, I went to the uh, uh, Edinburgh Fringe Festival a couple years back because my okay. girlfriend was doing a show and everyone's like, oh, how was Scotland? How was Scotland? I was like, I don't fucking know, actually, to tell you the <laughs> truth. Like I spent the whole time watching shit in theaters, going to shows and stuff, you know, from from you know routing from one theater to another i could see a castle here or something like that but like for the most part i have no idea what scotland's like right you know nothing at all except that haggis is disgusting uh that's like their their food it's disgusting oh Oh, i hated it yeah like what is it similar to or it's like a mincemeat kind of thing it's sort of like i mean you're from pittsburgh so you know scrapple uh you know just like like lunch meat yeah well it's like a, a chopped it's like a sausage, but it's made out of like organ meats and stuff. But it's like the same way that Philly has a cheesesteak, Scotland has haggis, and haggis haggis is just it's rancid. I I was like, oh, I'm open minded, I'll do it. No, not not turned on. Not. <laughs> so, did you have poutine in Canada at least? Did that occur? Uh, I can't remember if I did or not. No, I don't think I did. Eh, fair enough. I can't imagine it's like that much better anywhere yeah. you know anywhere else than you know, it's just fries and gravy and cheese curds 
Right, right. Same. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. So do you want to go first or, or we'll, we'll go 10 to one? Um, okay. Actually, no, I can actually go first if you want. And then you get the coveted number one slot where your number one movie of the year is the number okay. one at the end of the podcast. You want to do that? Well, yeah, let's do it. Set the tempo. All right. So I am um, now here's the other question. Do I have a top 15? Shall I rattle off my five or should we save them for honorable menchies at the end? I, I like this, maybe the sense of like, um, I don't know, like anticipation for like whoever's listening. So let's just not even say anything. Okay. And just hit the top 10. And then we'll be like, okay, the ones we left off, those are the honorable mentions or something like that. I'm into that. All right. So, so I we'll will circle start. Back. My number 10 movie, my 10th favorite movie of the year was actually in my half, the first half of the year list. And I just revisited it the other day to see if it would still make my list. And I'm pleased to report that it absolutely does. Uh, the Northman. Okay. Okay. Let's, did you see the Northman? I did. I did. Um, okay. Didn't exactly work for me all the way, but I mean, I could totally watch that movie again uh, and just see how it fares. I, I love Eggers. So yeah. Oh I yeah. Mean, for what didn't work for me, I, I could just rewatch it and see where it lands, but a uh, beautiful movie to look at. Beautiful. I mean, absolutely. Movie. Like he is just literally escalating the way that he shoots and the way that he, he, he has this, like cinematic experience for everybody i mean it's it's really beautiful to look at he has such a strange energy you know you look at something like the witch and it it has it's not as like rambunctious as something like the lighthouse and right. northman's somewhere in the middle and it's a little bit more of a classic narrative than than those two it is your straightforward revenge sort of movie but what i liked about it is a it's just i mean i said this in my first half of the year list it's metal as fuck a dude yeah. throws a spear at him. He catches the spear midair and then <laughs> throws the spear back. He cuts a dude's nose off as a kid and then stabs him in that nose hole later on in right. life. It, 90% of the dialogue is screamed. The other 10% is intensely whispered. It's such a great, like, you know, spoiler alert here. I do love the way that it undercuts his revenge by having him reach a point where he's like, mom, I rescued you. And she's just like, fuck off. <laughs> like my life oh, is yeah. better now. Your dad is a piece of shit. You were a rape baby. Get out of here. Like that is, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. My jaw literally dropped to the floor for that whole um, sequence between him and his mother. And I mean, shout out to be Nicole seen. Kidman. Yeah. Yeah. She, she very, very great, great scene there. But, um, and then like the ending too, you know, not to give anything away, but butt naked fighting at the end with like, lava or fire and it's just it's like insane. this is like what we begged for all year and, and and he gave it to us so oh yeah i and i remember reading uh edgar said something he was like oh yeah this culminates in a fully naked battle on a volcano and i was like <laughs> all right you say that but you know it's probably just nope 100 fully naked battle on a volcano yeah. just two jack dudes beating the hell out of one another I right. love the part when Skarsgård is in the hills and he screams at the top of his lungs like, I am his vengeance! <laughs> I wanted to punch a hole in the screen. I was so jacked up. I, it, talk about right. cinematic experience. This is where it's at for me. And I think it just shows the development of Eggers as a filmmaker. I think it shows the development of uh, Skarsgård as a leading man. And I think so often we see like glamorized Vikings and this was not that. It was gross. Life was shit. Everything was disgusting and nasty. Yeah, it's, it's just ugh. Yeah, it's really like that that kind of like anti-revenge story, right? So there's yeah. a lot of that, that toxic masculinity into it. 
and kind of like what you think your righteous path is. And then it kind of just completely folds underneath of itself. Mm -hmm. I like that it asks the idea of just like, oh, you think your kingdom was the first kingdom? Well, that shit didn't just sprout up overnight. That came from someone ascending and that came from someone ascending and that before that. Like there is no first kingdom here. This is a whole bunch of, you know, destruction, toxic masculinity, all this shit. And it's just a tale as old as time. And he, you know, him waking up to find out he's in the middle of it and then having to either commit or bail is, and, and what I like about that is not only does it, you know, be the anti-revenge movie but it also delivers on what we expect from a revenge tale like i came out of that feeling that same sort of righteous indignation that energy of seeing catharsis but with the added bonus of realizing like this is just one catharsis in a sea of an absolute mess of anger rage and vengeance yeah yeah and what's cool too is um eggers gets to have his fun too which maybe you can speak to like a little bit more of it but I mean, once again, we have a, a farting scene with, <laughs> right off uh, the bat with, with Ethan Hawke in there. And I'm just like, oh, my God. So he's this is just going to be like his thing, I think. Yeah. But, um, oh, yeah. but yeah, just an oddly like dry humor to it, too, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, mean, I would agree. I think that. Um, it, you like he's almost despite being this jacked hero, Amleth is al- almost like he's pathetic in a way, too. And, and, you know, even once we start to know the irony of it, where we realize more than he does in terms of like his place in the world, I think that humor does come into it. But there's also kind of like, I mean, with Eggers and something like The Lighthouse, there is that sense of humor where it's just crass for the sake of crass. But it all comes down to me, the moment where he does stab Noseless Guy in the face, I wrote down the quote. He says, I I love this so much that I like, I would if I live my whole life and just write one line as good as this, I will consider myself a successful writer. I'm not there yet, but he says, the cub you once hunted ate of your nose. Now the wolf is grown. He hungers for the rest. And then stabs him <laughs> in the goddamn brains. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh! Full oh, circle. Yeah. So good. So yeah, Northman was my number 10. All right, love it. Yeah, um, what do you oh, got? And then also like, I mean, we'll get into honorable mentions too, but like, the Valhalla sequence they put like in the trailer, it's virtually the same thing in the movie, but man, does that look fucking beautiful. Like, oh, that. yeah, you know, um, but yes, yeah. I immediately totally bought like- the 4K disc just because I knew I was just going to sit there and like, you know, agape at it over and over. It took me like three hours to watch the movie the other night, even though it's like two and a half hours long, because I kept running it back just to like <laughs> experience the propulsive nature of the visuals and the audio. And oh, and shout out to the score. I don't even know who did it, but it's it's so good. OK, yeah, I can pull it up. Watch it just be like nobody. Who did the score? But Who's who will be somebody, maybe. Who shall be someone? It is um, Sebastian. Oh, Sebastian Gainsborough. Is he of the Serge Gainsborough clan? I don't know. But this is his only credit. So, yeah, hopefully it'll. Right, uh, yeah. Right now on. on the map. On the map. Let's do it. Anybody with the last name Gainsborough, I'm in. Charlotte, <laughs> Serge, I'm into it. Right. All right. What do you got at 10? The 10 is. I swear, like, when I first made this, I was like, oh, I have my 10. And then, you know, you think about it a little bit more, you start second-guessing yourself, and I'm just like, ah. I mean... So 10th best. So it just makes the cut. Yeah. Just makes Uh, the cut. I'm I'm going with sick of myself, for sure. 
that was so hard to cut from my list. <laughs> it was so hard. It's not going to show up, but my God, what a movie. Yeah, yeah. So 10th, yeah. Sick of myself. Um, this this was immediately on my radar um, because of Christine uh, Thorpe, mm-hmm. which uh, who plays the lead. And, um, and she's, I guess, maybe like the Norwegian indie star at this point. Um, definitely check out um, Ninja Baby if you ever get the chance. Um, and she's like, Phenomenal in that. Phenomenal in that. Came out last year. Ended up watching it twice because I loved it so much. But the fact that she was in this, I was like, okay, sign me up. I don't even know what it's about. But yeah, but yeah, it's, it's kind of just like this, you know, obviously commentary on um, kind of like internet culture and fame right now. And um, and it has like a lot of humor in it. Uh, I think that um, that dinner sequence where she's now like, what is it, allergic to uh, yeah to fish, or she's like vegetarian or something and then the um what is it the uh the chef comes out and he's just like are you gonna be okay and like yeah, don't that, no you that, shouldn't drink that don't touch that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah don't touch that yeah and he just keeps coming in like three or four times and i'm just like dying like every time in the theater i love that it's it was like legitimately gross as she develops the skin condition oh, yeah. there was a couple points where i was like oh that's actually kind of repulsive to look at and for a movie to lean into that and not make her like, oh, she has a rash, but she's pretty. It's like, no, this yeah. thing's real disgusting. And yeah. like, and for it to like really <laughs> depict that, uh, that is, yeah, so like, when I saw it at like, the Philly Film Fest, people, like I could hear people going, Oof, in the theater yeah. when they would show her face and stuff, which is a bold move. Yeah, and I, and I think that's what the whole movie's like, just diving into each time. It's like fully on like committing to the bit and at the end, it's like going like way past where we thought it would. Mm-hmm. So like the whole like model agency uh, sequence there. Oh, and I she's mean, getting sick. Oh. Like, it, it's really like, it's actually gross. So like that whole body horror element just like adds an extra layer onto it for me. And I'm like, okay, like I haven't been grossed out in a while for something like this. Yeah. So this is like totally up my alley. My bar to be grossed out is pretty high. And this definitely, <laughs> it definitely yeah. did it. It made uh, John Waters and his famed end of year list had sick of myself. So you're in okay. fantastic well, company. Yeah. Anybody interested in this film, that should be the, the seal of approval right there. Oh, yeah. I yeah. like that it's like, it. it's both like, it criticizes the idea of, of like, look at me culture. But it also criticizes the idea of how we like co-opt and monetize suffering and, you know, like fetishize suffering in a way. And, you know, by hitting all of that at once, it's, you know, it's always it's kind of a cop out sometimes when people are like, oh, this satirizes everybody. So, you know, it's an equal opportunity offender. But like this one, I think, actually earns the ability to say that it's not a cop out. Like it really does put her at the center of a lot of different social forces and has smart things to say about all of it, all the while delivering like a scathing black comedy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that was definitely I think I'd seen that. Yeah, I'd seen that at uh, the Denver Film Fest and totally like my favorite one there. Nice. Yeah, I saw that at Philly Film Fest and it was one that uh, I just I had heard a little like rumbling about that was like, oh, if you have a chance to see this, you should check it out. And that's how it made my Film Fest list. And uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad that's on yeah. your list. Yeah. Yeah. Because I wanted to talk about it, but I, I just couldn't find room for it. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't like I said, I, I think the lead there, um, Christine Thorpe, uh, she seems like just to be like this Norwegian actress that's kind of like blowing up a little bit in the indie circuit. And if you have a chance, Ninja Baby is is phenomenal as well. 
I've heard um, good things. I have not yeah. had a chance to see it. Basically like a, an abortion romantic comedy. Sold. Sold. That's two <laughs> and, of my uh, favorite things. <laughs> but yeah, I just like, just totally love her. I think she's like a phenomenal actress. So, oh, and then uh, what's his name pops up too from the, um, from all of uh, Yoakam Shear's film, films. Um, I forget what his name is. Uh, Anders Lee. He, he plays in Worst Person in the World. He's also in oh, okay, okay. okay. Yeah. I didn't realize that was the same guy. Is he in Thelma at all? Um, that's like, that's, that to me is like, that's where Trier like really shines. Although I have not seen all of his, uh, all of his work. Doesn't look like he is. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. All I remember is that at some point in that movie, a dude was on fire. So he goes underwater, but every time he pops out, he bursts into flames. And I was like, that is a nightmare. That's an absolute nightmare. It's the worst <laughs> thing that can happen to somebody. But all right. Sick of myself. We have, I have a, uh, you're aware of uh, Noah of Plus Two Comedy that does the movie movie challenge every year? Yes. I mean, every time but I hear shout about out this, to I'm, like, Noah. I'm like, he's still sticking into the bit. So wait, is it? Is he it made it up. Going? I didn't, is he, he actually going? finished the, the mid-year episode. He just finished it the other day. And so I try okay. to be nice to him, but I also try to mention as many movies as possible that aren't on the list. <laughs> Partially Evil. to fuck with him and partially to entertain him. So Noah, shout out. You guys should follow Plus Two Comedy wherever wherever you find stuff. He puts out good shit and he plays. And what's funny is it sounds like I'm a cruel, a cruel driver here, but he made up the whole thing. He made up the rules himself. He did it without consulting me. So it's his he made his bit. And he's got okay. to sleep in it. I have nothing to do with it. And he's still doing this, like even if I say something or just oh yeah. You? The rules for him wow. are if he if we mention a movie that he hasn't seen, he has to stop the podcast and watch it. Wow. And now, so I throw evil. like tons of I stuff. Won't, I won't do it, but you know that seven hour like nihilistic Hungarian drama we all know about. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I won't mention yeah. it. Don't I hit him. Do that. Yeah. I hit him with Doctor Zhivago <laughs> last year and really oh, fucked okay. with this. And I haven't yeah, even yeah. seen Doctor Doctor Zhivago, but I did it just to fuck with him. So, eh, so okay, it goes. Yeah. Well, All shout right. out to Noah. I mean, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out Seriously. Noah. Plus two comedy. He is a, right. a glutton for punishment, but it's also education. He's learning. So yeah. my number nine, we're not going to have a lot to talk about because you were unable to see it before the podcast. Um, probably going to be a divisive yeah, uh, one, but I really loved Babylon. Awesome. Um, I'm a big Chazelle it. fan. I think that Whiplash rules. I'm a big La La Land fan. I think that First Man might be the best non-documentary space travel movie I've ever seen, uh, besides 2001. Well, you know, but I think right, that right. goes without saying. Um, we'll say non-fiction space movie. But what's cool about Babylon? It's three hours and ten minutes, and you, I did not feel the length. Your individual mileage may vary. It's kind of scrappy. I think it's messier than it wants to be for a movie that is about debauchery and about, I mean, debauchery is the word and about Bacchanalia. It's actually like relatively squeaky clean. And so it has a lot wrong with it. And I think it's fair to criticize it, but it's been a long time since a movie at that length had me like bopping the whole time. And you want to talk about craft. The craft on display is bananas. There's a sequence that is just an outdoor Hollywood, I, I want to say backlot, but I'll just say production area, just a giant field that has like 30 productions going on at once. And in one 
probably like 25 minute take the camera just zips through all of it and just hits everything meeting a ton of characters very heavy boogie nights energy which is one of my all-time favorite movies maybe my favorite um lots of boogie nights energy incredible score by justin Hurwitz. easily my favorite score of the year um it, really everyone's fantastic in it uh jovan adepo plays this uh, uh trumpet player character i wanted more of him he was so good but um similar to another movie that didn't make my list that i did love um blonde this is one of the few movies that when i say we, we often say oh lots of david lynch energy on display with mixed accuracy Blonde and Babylon, are, they both have a back half that I would say is very Lynchian. And so even though Chazelle does not have that like Paul Schrader-esque, I wrote this movie high on coke energy that I think <laughs> would make his debauchery sing, it's yeah. still like a pretty hard R. It still covers a lot of material that I think a lot of movies would shy away from. And even if it's like a squeaky clean version of it, it just doesn't matter. I, I loved it. Midway through the movie, there's like a 30 minute scene. They just stop the movie dead to do a scene. That's the first time that Margot Robbie's character, Nellie Leroy, is recording on a soundstage for a talkie. And all of the issues that come up for a studio that's built for making silent pictures, for a whole bunch of talent that's used to making silent pictures, trying to shoot a scene with sound and all of the trouble that they run into. It is so frustrating. And it's like a madcap comedy of errors. And the fact that Damien Chazelle stops this movie, at, you know, an hour and a half into it to just have a half hour madcap short film in and of itself, to me is just like a tremendous level of balls. And I think that it works. Right. And it culminates in like a really big final swing at the end that I don't even think works 100%. It gets like 85% of the way there. There's such a bold, just dick out, balls ass swing <laughs> that even though I don't think it nails what it's going for, it's like one of those moves that I just respect so goddamn hard. And I can't wait for you to see it so that I can be a yeah, little more specific really about what this is. But uh, this is one I've really highly like recommend. closed my eyes for for all the trailers. So mm -hmm. I like much of what you said is just all new information to me. Like I oh, right basically on. have no idea what I'm going into, but, but I'm really excited. Um, I think that there's totally a chance that it could still end up on my 10 year or best of, best of um, 2022 list. So, I mean, we'll see, I'll probably catch it maybe over the next week, but, but yeah. It's I'm, definitely I'm, I'm worth really catching on the big screen. Yeah. How's Brad Pitt in it? He's, he's firing or no? He's really good, but I actually think he's a little bit miscast and Ooh. Which is weird because he is the contemporary version of the character that he's playing. But um, like I was talking to a friend of the show, Andy, and he was like, you know, I think DiCaprio could have done it better. And I'm inclined to agree with that. He's like, I think with a slight tonal change, Nick Cage could have done it. I'm inclined to agree with that. Uh, <laughs> wow. Seeing no Margo love Ruby lost to Pitt. And Nick Cage playing the same movie. Sign me up. It would be unbelievable. Yeah. But I mean, performance of the movie, I think, goes to Diego Calva as the production assistant that makes his way I've up through so Hollywood. Much great things about him. Uh, I honestly did not know who he was. Or... I this think is kind he of like has, his but big role. this is breakout, but like he has like right. a, he does some, and he's great. Uh, do you know the comedian Rory Scovel? I can't say I do. Okay, well, he's a great comic, but he plays like sort of like the the Dr. Feelgood on the Hollywood lots, and it's just hilarious, the stuff that he right. does. And so, you know, it's a big old messy movie, but it's very much my shit. 
So yeah. I couldn't help but love it. And I, I'm always rooting for Chazelle. It does feel like he's a little bit responding to the criticisms that he received after ascending. So, you know, going from, you know, oh, we got a nomination for Whiplash to I got wrongly now announced Best Picture. You know, like he really had a meteoric <laughs> right. rise. And I would yeah. say it was a well-deserved rise, but uh, this does feel a little bit like him contending with like the slight backlash against him. There's a, a big energy of like, hey, sometimes you got to get shit on to make good art. I'm just happy that I get to be part of the machine. You know, like it has that yeah. sort of energy to it and, and I respect it, but yeah. highly recommend. And if you can't get out to the theater to see it, at least pop on to whatever music streaming service you have and give the score a listen and you'll be bopping with it. Like I stayed well, yeah. through the credits holding my piss like a champion just so <laughs> I could listen to more music because it was so good. Right. And and Hirschwist, he did um, the score for... Um for first man right he did first man which is one of my favorite scores he did the yeah. music uh for la la land uh Pasek and right paul on. did the yeah, songs yeah. but herwitz did the score i think yeah. he did music and like he's a dude who used to write arrested development like he's kind of an everyman right yeah because i i remember i remember talking briefly maybe with you about first man and I, although i wasn't as high on it you were like hey just listen to the score and it's and so i do I do pretty often. I mean, like, right really like great stuff. So it's, it, I think I own the 4K too. So I'm, I'm like, really want to just kind of like get back into that eventually to see if the film works for me a little bit it more. It took me but a couple of viewings. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, okay, I yeah. mean, even with La La Land, it took me a couple of viewings. I think the only one that I came out hot on right away was Whiplash. I mean, obviously, a fucking banger ending. Yeah. What's so fun about Hurwitz too is he's now at a point where like we all know like what a John Williams score sounds like, you know. We all know mm -hmm. that Danny Elfman is but 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 and so like now Hurwitz has this one melody that he returns to that I can now recognize. So it's like now I could be like that's a Hurwitz score, you know, and like I I right. enjoy that he's now sort of come of his own through that. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, my number 9 was Babylon. What do you got? Ah, my number 9 uh is definitely i i would say up there with my top two favorite experience like cinematic experience of this year and uh it my number nine is triangle of sadness oh man another heartbreaking cut i love that uh, movie and uh and it's one that like I, I totally understand like why people aren't like jiving with it um, yeah it's it's something that really isn't like i guess saying a lot about rich people but it's just three hours or what is it how many hours it's pretty Almost close to three it's pretty long one yeah yeah 147 minutes of just literally making fun of rich people basically yeah. and i got to see this at i think the prince or princess of wales theater in uh, at tiff with nice. a absolutely packed audience i um i think it might have been like the second showing but just being in there with a packed theater i think just like elevates that experience and so, so many of us were like absolutely cackling like the entire film and, uh, and just to be there for that and, and like share that experience with like hundreds of people was so, so fun, you know? Yeah. And, um, and like, I, de I definitely think he kind of just commits to, now some people say that this is his thing, like committing to the bit, like I've seen force majeure as well. Yeah. And, um, and he kind of does hit it. And then he just takes it like an extra like 15 minutes more than where it like should have ended. And like, I mean, the scene it... where they're all rolling around in vomit and shit for like 20 <laughs> minutes. I think that's a prime example of just like yeah, the yeah. point is made 
And as they're doing that, while the Russian oligarch and the socialist captain are just like barking quotes from their oh, yeah. favorite and thinkers Woody back Harrelson and forth, is just like unbelievable. Perfectly cast in this role. When he first like, uh, when they first mentioned he would be in here, I'm like, oh my god, like what's the tone of this movie going to be yeah. like with Woody Harrelson? And because you know sometimes he pops up and it's like, oh hey, it's Woody Harrelson, and and you get this like over the top performance from him in a way but he's kind of like reserved here and, yeah. um, and he's still like doing his bit, but at the same time, it's like, it's working so well off of the, uh, the guy he plays off of too. Yeah. So, 100%. Um, yeah. It was tough yeah. to like, he's not doing Woody Harrelson comedy, but he's not stepping necessarily out of his wheelhouse. It's very yeah. hard to describe. Yeah. And then like the, you know, I'm sure like people again are like looking for other elements for, for like this to be a little bit more layered. And uh, I think the ending kind of has like that, that layer that I think people were looking for anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's that shift in, in power, right? Whenever this, this film takes like a, like a kind of like a 180 and you kind of see like the, you know, who's viewed as lower at this point in the film, like ends up taking like a more of a high arc role. Yeah, yeah. And like seeing them like work off of that, like new power struggle is, uh, is like really cool too. Cause like, now we're not just making fun of rich people, but like there's just this whole di- new dynamic of having like somebody that's getting into like the same stuff, you know? So you see that that power when it changes hands, it's kind of like almost in the same token, right? Yeah, and I like that it like highlights the idea of just like, oh, because this person was not privileged, they actually have a skill set that you couldn't yeah. possibly have coming from a place of extreme privilege. And I right. love when the Russian oligarch you know, suddenly, like, he literally drops, like, I believe a Marx quote, where he's like, oh, oh well, yeah. what about, a, you right know, on. to each his ability, you know, to, you know, the, I forget what the quote is, but like, uh, you know, each according to their needs and according to their ability. And it's like, meanwhile, 20 minutes ago, he was in the ship going off about his, you know, he's a hardcore capitalist. And then the second he's not on top of that, he immediately starts leaning into like these quotes <laughs> from socialism. So I yeah. got to ask I, at the screening I went to, it was a press screening. So I didn't get to have that like raucous time, but I, I was handed a triangle of sadness oh vomit God. bag. Awesome. Did you get one of these? I didn't know. No, but that's so awesome. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Yeah. Is Instruction- funny- yeah. It says instructions that. for use one open bag two relax your triangle of sadness. Uh, <laughs> three projectile vomit into the bag. Four, enjoy the moment. And five, fold the flaps and seal. Nice. Isn't that wild? <laughs> Love it, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, um, that's my number nine. Um, I, I think that if you find yourself like kind of gravitating towards this film, I think you're going to be sold on that opening sequence too. Because yeah. I know I was being kind of like in this like fashion circuit a little bit. Mm. And, and we've all seen it in the trailer too. But this whole like H&M, yeah, H&M face. And then Balenciaga. I'm like, oh my God, like this is totally me. I'm on board. Let's let's have like a fucking ride. And, and what and a performance totally from that was. guy. What is his name? Is it Harris something? Uh, Harris Dickinson. Harris Dickinson, um, that's it. He was great. Which, um, which yeah, I'm, I'm hoping he has uh, like a nice career after this because I did see parts of him in Where the Crawdads Sing and not not great there yeah not great at all. <laughs> fair enough hey, he's got to <laughs> make a uh, stateside release at some point yeah but, but but uh but no yeah he was phenomenal in this and then uh like that closing uh elevator sequence which also goes on like a little bit too long but also at the same time very funny 
like the bit he's committing to in there it is just so oh funny. yeah 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 very yeah, very good just yeah, like closing I, in on him while he's like arguing i loved that movie so much and it broke my heart and also shout out to the the co-lead charlie dean yeah, who yeah. uh unfortunately passed away since uh the completion of the movie but yeah. um uh definitely would have had a wonderful uh acting career beyond just modeling because i think that uh she really does something more than like it in a in a um why am i blanking on the filmmaker's name um in his Ruben movies awesome that's it yeah yeah everybody is like simultaneously the straight man and the crazy man as needed and yeah. i think that she really walks that line uh better than anybody else in the cast yeah yeah she's she's really phenomenal and i think that um you know i don't follow the award circuits as much as many people but this is totally like an ensemble piece i mean like everybody yeah. has their moment to shine and they're all doing really well at it and and i think that got to give a shout out to dolly de leon too um mm. who, who plays um what is she like kind of like the the like housekeeper for for the yacht yeah she's bottom um, of the rung on the yacht top of the rung yeah, on the yeah. island yeah yeah right and this is to see her take that role and uh and she's firing like she's so great to see like kind of absolutely like command everybody yeah oh um, yeah that I, I think that she'll get some like kind of talk around award season if she hasn't already. And she's just, I would love to see that. Yeah. Yeah. She's phenomenal. And I think too, what's like really smart about the way her character is, is characterized is that it would be, it would be easy and effective to have her ascend and be a good guy. But what I like about it is she's neither good nor bad because she gets immediately drunk on the same power that everyone yeah. else did. And so even though there's there's a sort of vindictive nature where we all go, all right, the little guy finally gets to you know say what happens. It's right. also like, wow, she's really corrupted by this almost immediately. <laughs> and you yeah. know, power is an intoxicant. I don't think anybody is is immune to it. You know, not not I, not anybody. And right. I like that this movie kind of plays fair with that, even as we love watching her ascend the ranks of the social hierarchy. Yeah. And uh, another like little funny bit there, um, like on the island, I think it's absolutely hilarious that we have what is now currency with the, um, with the pretzel rods. Oh, yeah. And, like. <laughs> I would not want to eat anything less on this dry ass island with like no water source yeah. than some like salted pretzels. Salty, like, crispy sourdough. Not. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. But they're having a blast with them. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. That's so funny. It never even occurred to me. But yeah, they are currency where, you know, one stick, two stick. Yeah. That's so fucking yeah. funny. I also love to, and I hope this isn't a spoiler. So I'll try to say it. Um, as as judiciously as possible here the scene where the ship first goes down and it's the weapons dealer's wife who recognizes the item that brings the ship down as one of yours that's such a beautiful oh, development yes. you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah i don't want to say too much yeah. but like that that made me laugh back, so too. hard yes yeah. yeah it circles back and you're like oh my god so yeah just that like little bits of him are like i think perfectly like he's like really in tune with his comedy and um, mm. I, I'm, I'm super excited to see the square too, which I heard is, 
maybe oh, yeah. like more is it like more reserved as far as like what he's doing with the comedy like it's I more it's of like a satire a little more laser focused on a specific world like if this yeah. is more about like this ends up being like parasite where it seems to be a small story but then it's about an entire species-wide hierarchy yeah. uh, the square is more pointed towards the the uh, art world so like if Triangle of Sadness stayed in the H&M Balenciaga face mode and just did a like, oh, we're I'm going sorry. after the fashion. I'm going to go watch that later. It's yeah. that, but with with the art world. And it's really funny. And it's yeah. got um, what's her name uh, from Handmaid's Tale. Why am I forgetting her name? Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss. That's it. She's in that? She's in it. And she like takes to the no material. Idea. Great. Dominic okay, West is there. Uh, it just like it's I was surprised at all the people that are in it. And like the concept of what the square is it's not a piece of art it's just a square on the ground that if you stand inside of it nothing else matters everything within this square is equal and pure and love is there and all that the joke being like it's just a piece of sidewalk like yeah there's yeah. nothing that anywhere. makes this yeah it could be yeah. anything it's just you decide to do it so like it is a little bit of a cultural parody but it's also the idea of like oh this brilliant art piece that you have that's literally nothing gotcha okay sure you know like it's it, it's cool i think you'll enjoy the square okay cool all right so we are eight will be up next uh we'll take a quick break and uh we'll be back with eight okay awesome all right so number eight so i just ate a mouthful of trail mix <clears throat> okay so number eight on my list is the uh first film from todd field in many many a year the movie that's gonna get kate blanchett her third acting oscar i tar. can't wait tar i love kate blanchett with all of my heart she was my first like celebrity crush i love her so much i think she's such a great actress and tar is her there will be blood um but what i love Absolutely, about tar yeah. i mean it's like she's really chewing the scenery but this is one of those movies that i watched twice now and the second time around played as a completely different movie than the first time around there's so many different details it is such a brilliantly textured film in the script in the performances even in the imagery on the screen that watching it you know you watch it once you can take five things away from it you can watch it a second time and take 10 completely different even opposite things away from it and i love a movie that does that so the fact that it is simultaneously a showcase of craft and of theme and of entertainment value it just it's everything i love in a movie all wrapped up into one and being nearly three hours long if it came on right now i would watch it to the end again it's pure entertainment. Oh, it totally sustains the runtime. Yeah. yeah, it moves. It's it. I mean, the whole thing really cooks. But it's not the type of movie that that I could even describe to anybody without it sounding like it's going to be boring or a slog. And I just want to grab everyone and be like, "No, I swear to God, it will excite you. Just you have to watch this. Just get <laughs> into it. And then you have to watch it a second time before yeah. you can even think about talking about it with any sort of scholarly level. Like writing up, like I would love to go back and unpost my review of Tar now that I've seen it a second time, and start fresh because I feel differently about it. And I'm sure if I watched it a third time, I'd want to do it. You again. can do it. Just rewrite history. Yeah, I mean, I guess I can. I do have it all in my computer, so I do have this power. Um, I'm a regular Lydia Tar that way, but um, 
it's yeah. uh although i guess i'm more of a linda tar if you know what i mean but um <laughs> yes yeah, so i i just i everything about it works i i love this movie so much yeah no it it, it didn't exactly make my top 10 but i would probably throw it around the honorable mention category because mm-hmm. i think it, it does sustain the runtime i think it's it kind of speaks to what Todd Fields is doing too, because it's such a lived in character. It literally feels real. Mm-hmm. I mean, I watched this with somebody and I was like, oh yeah, it's, it's based on a, on a real composer. I thought the same thing. The, not until after the film, I'm like, hey, just to let you know, I, I guess it's, it's uh, you know, fictionalized. Yeah, I felt the <laughs> but, same way. Um, but yeah, and I, I think that's, yeah, it totally speaks to like what he's doing and, and how he creates this character. And um and yes, see, I, I wish it was more there will be blood for me because sure. I think that I think that ending kind of feels a little bit out of place for like what I, I was led up to believe with Lydia Tarr, like the whole, you know, like the composer sequence. At yeah, the yeah. End, you know, not to ruin it. But I mean, at the same in the same regard, I think it's what, what it's doing like thereafter at the end, kind of like the like after effects of that situation. I was like so on board for it. And yeah. and that goes up to like the ending sequence too. Like her, you know, trying to roll this like new world that we're kind of like at with the same token, we're like, okay, this is a very less of a world, you know, but your power now only exists here mm-hmm. instead of like at the top of your game. Well, I like, I mean, I, this is one that I really don't want to spoil, but I like the idea that like, it is the tale of an obsessive and in in a lot of ways i can see pieces of tar in me hopefully not too much because she's not necessarily <laughs> the the greatest person in the world yeah. but um i read this article and i want to shout it out it was i have it in my i just messaged it to somebody so i'll pull it up there it is from uh, slate.com and it is called the headline is tar is the most talked about movie of the year so why is everyone talking about it all wrong by a writer named dan kois k-o-i-s um that is a little bit of a clickbaity title because it sounds like they're saying like everyone's talking about it wrong you need to talk and it's actually not that (laughs) at all what this artist what this uh, article posits is it introduces the idea of a level of unreliable narrator, which is one of my favorite devices right, to yeah. use in a movie. And so I read this article and then watched when it, before I watched the movie a second time and watched it with it in my head. And the last third of the movie takes on a completely different flavor based on what is said in this article. And I, I'm inclined to subscribe to what it's positing, but there are hidden things within the movie. Like, I'll just I'll just say this very early on in the movie. There's an image of a woman in her apartment watching her from around a corner that if you blink, you miss it. And it happens a few times throughout the movie. There is a a woman, we'll say from her past uh, that may or may not be there, but there is an actress playing her standing in the apartment leering and it's very strange how this becomes a haunted house movie in a lot of ways. Um, Yeah, but 
there's elements of the movie that, you know, you watch it and you go, okay, it's this movie about this powerful woman who's talented, who has skeletons in her closet. There's a little bit of a cancel culture narrative, a little bit of a power abuse narrative, you know, all right, it's got its thumb on the pulse of, of everything, you know, that's happening these days, blah, 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 blah. But when you watch it a second time, you realize like, there's a lot of things that if taken at face value, don't make sense. Like when she drops her new protege off at her house and then follows her in to give her a stuffed animal, and the woman's just gone and the house isn't even a house it's just in yeah i was so alleyway. by that scene i so i what can see like on this haunted house air, like things what, go what missing from yeah. her apartment things you know right. like uh she's hearing phantom noises she's like there's all of these little things that are just otherworldly that occur and whether we're meant to take them at face value or not, I think is almost irrelevant. But I highly recommend reading the article that I shouted out because it informed my second viewing in a really big way. And um, because when, you know, even watching it without having this knowledge, there is an otherworldly feel to it. There's kind of like a discomfort in the center of this movie at all times. Right. And so, excuse me. And so, to sort of start to reconcile like, oh, this is not just a tone thing. There's actually a purposeful sleight of hand happening. And whatever you, whatever that leads to as a conclusion for you, I think is, is actually meant to be, you know, to the individual. But the fact that there is something otherworldly specifically and explicitly built into the narrative is what makes Tar so much fun to rewatch and is what ultimately landed it on my list because I'm going to go back with a notepad and I am going to go back and, you know, look for these little things and try and suss out how I feel about it with that lens. And I right. love a movie that does that because you could watch this and go, oh yeah, it's about this like cancel culture story, blah, 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 damn good movie. And you'd be correct <laughs> and, you'd, and you'd enjoy it as you know I, I gave it a perfect score the first time I watched it and little did I know I was barely even scratching the surface of what was going on here and I love movies that do that and I love right. Tar. Right well you're inviting that kind of rewatchability back to me because I think I would really like to see it and own the 4k which has like a badass cover to it. Do, do you own that one? I do not. I has, definitely want to buy it. Like, like echoing on the cover and it looks so sick. I'm definitely gonna have to pick it up. Yeah, but but also for those who aren't really like sold on this film, because it, you know, if it's speaking to like kind of like dramatic-y for you, or like it's like living in this composer world that you don't like really care for, I think that opening sequence kind of like should be like more inviting had you just like just press play and like let it work for you. Because yeah. it's not so much about like this like high-minded like composer world if you actually watch that opening like interview that she's doing it's not like what like what she's talking about but it's how she's talking about it right 100 percent, yeah so you're so you don't have to know about bach or like any of these people at all all you have to do is just watch how she talks about it and then you get this semblance that like oh like no she's taking all the best parts of like everybody she knows and she now sees herself above these people yeah yeah, so it's it, it's really unique, and and I, I like that it kind of like invites you into this world rather than kind of like alien alienates you to it. You know, you I mean? expect it to be stuffy, and yeah, it is yeah. it is very much not. No, you yeah, know, it, yeah, like I'm sitting there going like, oh, this is gonna be a Merchant Ivory art house thing, and like right. it's not. <laughs> it fucking thrills, even if it's you know, I don't want to say slow paced, but uh, deliberately paced, right. But I mean, as a performance piece for everybody involved, it's just stellar. Everybody crushes it. And I love me a, a more pathetic Mark Strong because Mark Strong is typically a very uh, uh, 
strong uh presence and he's sort of like a he's sort of like a like a oh, oh tar yeah. your royalty kind yeah. of thing and, and i really enjoy that he's he's an actor that i like and wish i could see more of yeah and his his wig's doing a lot of talking yeah. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, like this close to being stanley tucci he's this yeah. close we just quite get that i'm like you're wearing a wig but okay let's get through this yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nicely done nicely done all yeah. right what's your number eight all right number eight gonna have some overlap so we can we can save a little bit for later but uh my number eight is everything everywhere all at once all right i will spoil that's my number three okay so we can just get into it now and we'll gloss over it later okay yes so i mean like starting off this is it's kind of like unfortunate to see the way that people are like tearing this one down because it's ridiculous it's an indie product and they're they're adding so much of like what marvel's going for except every element is working right Mm. so like if i'm sitting down for a movie and it's making me laugh and cry it's got to be in my top 10 or a mention or something right and it's doing all of those things it has so many elements to it these um the the filmmakers their names are what daniel uh daniel shiner and and daniel kwan yeah double d and and they're like (laughs) they're wearing all of these like crazy influences on their sleeves and it's all meshing really well too and um and like a lit and i'm sure there's so many like easter eggs out there that would be like fun to poke through oh, that sure, i really yeah. haven't yet but um when i was sitting there um i noticed they had <laughs> they had uh what is his name uh ki who okay kwan I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, but uh, I, I also don't feeling. just want to call him short round or data. I feel like that's reductive. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I had a feeling when I would be on this podcast, I was like, okay, well, this is my time to shine and like butcher every name. Yeah. I'm, like, saying without confidence in my head, let alone when I say it out loud. You're doing anyway, wonderful. You're doing wonderfully. <laughs> yeah. But that's really like, um, you know, very calm sequence um, where um, he's talking to Evelyn and he says, your clothes never well as as well the next day your hair never falls quite the same way and it's literally a line from the uh story of a girl song oh and <laughs> and they play that later yeah yeah and I'm, I'm sitting there and i like as soon as i know that it's clicking firing in my head and i'm looking around and i'm like nobody else noticed that or was it just That's me so funny and i'm like this is just like kind of speaking to like how layered it is and how like kind of like small things like fit in context and it's not yeah, just yeah calling it straight out deliberately either yeah yeah, yeah. it it is what it isn't well i missed um, it entirely even though they do play a clip from that song during the director cameo when um the director daniel shinert plays the state senator who's getting spanked by a dominatrix that song (laughs) is playing in his office so yeah they were and even and i didn't even pick up that reference yeah yeah, I so wish I was I had time to revisit this one, but I mean I already know I'm gonna watch it again anyway. Yeah. But um, but go ahead. I mean, I I, I you gotta take the floor for some of this too, because I know you're crazy about it as well. I think the Daniels are like they're the most exciting filmmakers working today. Uh my favorite movie of the 2010s was Swiss Army Man. I still need to see that. It's so good. It came at such a time. It came at it came at the perfect time for me, but the best way I can describe it is it's the closest I have ever seen to a Kurt Vonnegut novel being uh, adapted to a movie. And it's not a Kurt Vonnegut novel, but it has that energy. And just, I mean, killer performance from Dano and from uh, uh, Radcliffe. 
And it's like, it's a movie that hit my life right around the time that I started giving consideration to my mental health. And I think it speaks to that. And, you know, it just, to me, it's like a really loving movie, but it's a loving movie that's couched in shit jokes, fart jokes. Um, (laughs) When Paul Dano was on WTF, the Mark Maron podcast, he said that when he was pitched this movie, the Daniel said to him, you know, we want the first fart in the movie to make you laugh. And we want the last fart in the movie to make you cry. And uh, mission accomplished and then some. And so if we take that as their thesis for all movies, I really enjoy that the Daniels have these very sweet movies, these sweet narratives that use crass humor, which I love, but in a way that's not mean-spirited, in a way that's funny, loving, open, and thoughtful. And also is backed up by like tremendously strong craft on a rather small budget. I mean, the effects in this movie are incredible and their effects team is just like buddies of theirs. You know, the the editing in this movie is probably the best in any movie I've seen this year. And it's something that they did in, in like, uh, you know, like uh, what's it, uh, you know, Adobe. It's, it's such a DIY energy that they have, but it, it, on the on the uh, 4K, which again highly recommend you buy. Oh, uh, I have the Walmart 4K with the um, same with all the googly eyes on it. Yeah, and, and like as soon as I had seen that, I was like, oh yeah, going. Got to get that. Out. Let's get it. Yeah. Did you watch the the uh, the uh, uh, outtakes? I haven't, and this is one. This is like kind of like my big New Year's resolution, and it's to actually like use all these Blu-rays I yeah. have. Like, <laughs> so I had the like, same thought. Why, yeah. why do you buy Blu-rays? Okay, well to rewatch the film, but. There's so much like so many other things are like phenomenal. So and I want to support because like that's kind of dwindling off of physical releases. So like I like to support a good. But the point being in this one, the the uh, outtakes shows that their set is a really fun set. It is goofy and nonstop. And, you know, like Michelle Yeoh is clearly having fun despite working so hard you know jamie lee curtis is clearly having fun despite working so hard and you can see even the directors like riffing just being like oh uh how about we do this and and this this, you know just like it there's such an energy there and it's like no wonder they end you know there's literally a scene in a movie with a guy leaping his ass onto a butt plug uh, (laughs) shaped trophy so that he can fight better and it's like, how right. do you how do you get me there? How do you get to that concept? And they do it yeah. effortlessly. And it's crass and it's funny, but it's it's ultimately very sweet. And you know, I, I love the the family story at the center of it. I love that it speaks to the immigrant experience. I love that the daughter is a queer person trying to reconcile that with her mom and the mom reconciling that. I love that it's like multi-generational. It speaks to class issues in terms of just like them working at a laundromat and trying to do that. You know, it speaks to all these different things without ever being preachy about it. It feels natural and fun. And there's also a giant everything bagel at the center of the universe. Like it's it's (laughs) everything at once. And I yeah and it's you know it's i i love stuff like that right and i don't know if you if you remember we had an exchange on twitter where you talked about how what this specific movie is stating and also what it's kind of also saying do you remember that at all i, re- I remember it happening but i don't remember what i said <laughs> okay because you said you something about it that- being something about just like being a good person and like just being like also like hopeful about the world too and i think, I mean, that's I think that really is it yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. it's 
people say like, oh, it's a movie about being nice, but it's like, I, I think it is a movie about being nice, but I think it's even more so it's a movie about like, that kindness goes not just outward, but inward. And it's this idea of like living in, in a way that is, it, like it, to me, it's very similar to, have you seen Tree of Life? I haven't, but I own it and I need to see it. <laughs> it's cool. It's, I mean, I'm not the biggest Malick fan. No. Um, sometimes he's pretentious. Sometimes he can back it up. Sometimes not. I think Tree of Life though has this really great moral that's just like, the, the universe is so vast that it's easy to think the little things we do don't matter. And that's a healthy mindset because it divorces you from getting too hung up on things. But at the same time, it's unhealthy to actually think these little things don't matter because these little things that we do, these little kindnesses, that's actually everything there is. And I think that everything ever all at once says it even better than Tree of Life, where it's just like, you know, our vast experience is so gigantic that, it, you know, it's stupid to get hung up on bullshit. But don't go thinking that 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 smile you offered somebody isn't actually doesn't actually have universe shaking consequences to it. And, yeah. and I love that. And then at the end of the day, it's also just a really fun movie to watch. It's really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that, um, like, again, it's, it's so layered, too. I think that uh, Wong Kar Wai sequence is absolutely beautiful. I know that everybody's seen it on Twitter every other day, and you'll see it every day. Well-deserved. So, that yeah, meme is well-deserved. It's so well-deserved, you know, and, and it's so, um, it really has a lot of heart to it, too, you know, like him saying that he would, you know, he would love to have just been folding clothes with her and, and stuff like that. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really like, uh, like emotionally driven. And with a lot of blockbusters that are kind of like falling a little bit short in that area for me, Lately, it, it's nice to see something that's like going for that swing and like completely connecting with it, you know? 100%. It, it, it is going for something so weird that it very, it, it very easily could have just not, not yeah, the, nailed it the at tone, all. The tone is so like, so well, um, well like thought out there. And, and that's why like, I'm, I'm always going to be interested in see what, what the Daniels do next because I hope they keep this level of weirdness and this level of like emotion, uh, you know, like this cohesiveness between the two, just like keep going. And, um, and I, I think that you had an honorable mention, was it like 2019 for the death of Dick Long, which had- I love that movie Daniels. so much. <laughs> and uh, another one where like the tone control is just so well in that, in that movie. And um, like, it's completely absurd but it's completely grounded at the same time, which mm -hmm. it kind of like it is exactly what uh, everything everywhere all at once is doing. I was just trying to look up my tweet. I couldn't find it. I have an algorithm on my Twitter that deletes everything after a certain amount of time so that oh, I, yeah. I don't get myself in trouble. We and, don't want um, you we don't want you canceled. Yeah. And I, I run <laughs> my mouth in stupid ways. And so, but I can't find it, but no, yeah, I, yeah. I think you're right. Like one of the things that is so fun, for uh, death of dick long is that like that's another movie that like again i don't want to spoil it for people that no, haven't no. seen it but yes, for a movie that's about yeah. that it's really <laughs> sweet it's a sweet oh. tender movie that is rather open and thoughtful despite being a, a, about that so yeah 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 no everything ever all at once was was uh Honestly, it might be my favorite movie I saw this year, but it only made it to number three because there's two other movies that just like I called an audible on. But yeah, so it goes. That. Okay. 
So here's my first cheat. Number seven is actually a slot that's held by two movies, but I think that it the both <laughs> movies go together. It's the one-two punch of X and Pearl. I, that's totally valid. I'll, I'll take that. I think it counts. And yeah. this is coming from someone who I genuinely did not care for much of Ty West's work. I think that yeah. uh, House of the Devil, I think, is overrated and boring. Um, Innkeepers, I think, is a just tremendously gorgeous looking movie in which nothing fucking happens. And <laughs> I think that The Sacrament is a, is a pretty solid little spooker, except that it accidentally and cluelessly breaks its own framing device of found footage midway through in a way that I can't forgive. And um, yeah. But I think that X is like one of the best like uh texas chainsaw riffs i have ever seen and then to I follow that up with is, pearl yeah. my god just like yeah. what a great one to, i can't wait for part three yeah. so i am completely i am a convert like i want to go back and watch ty west's movies again just knowing yeah. that he has this in him to see if i can be a little more in tune with it right and i, I think that I've always been like a fan of Ty West, even though like, again, like, um, like, what is it? The House of the Devil yeah. um, didn't really like hit me. But at the same time, he's paying like all these like odes to past films. Yeah. And he's really doing it in his way. And it's and not it, something he really where you're cares. like, like I've yeah, always absolutely. been rooting for him. I think that's same, why it always same. like disappointed me is I'm like, I want to like this guy so bad. Yeah, I love yeah. what he's doing, but I haven't really like jived with any of his movies. Right. Yeah. And, and I thought X was like that movie where I feel like he's at like the height of his powers where he's yeah. doing like, if you're hearing somebody that's going to be paying homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, your expectations are probably going to be pretty high. Yeah. But, I, but, but what he's doing is, is really like really interesting too. Like his commentary on like what was happening at that time too. And like, funny enough, like what the porn industry did for film. Right. Yeah. Um, Another one, Boogie he, Nights. I love that movie. Yeah, right, yeah. And this taps into that same idea of the medium affecting the, the artist and the artist affecting the medium. This yeah. weird symbiosis that is what causes sea changes in industry. Yeah. And if we can talk about Kid Cudi, I mean... <laughs> Amazing. Uh, somebody, And it's tough, too, because when you have these really like prominent actor or prominent musicians or something outside of the field that step in, you're kind of like taken out of the movie but I think he plays his role so well. It's, he's so it's, funny. It's funny to see him on screen, but then like he's he's really committed to it. He's playing something definitely different than where you've seen him anywhere else. And um, and yeah, he, he's great in it. I actually didn't realize it was him until the closing credits. I, well, I didn't really, like I, I have a, yeah. an, an audio knowledge of what Kid Cudi sounds like, but like, like not enough face. of what he looks like for to, to you know, like I, yeah. I'm not like a, a Kid Cudi fan enough that I know his image. And so to have him with the fro and, you know, just kind of really embodying a character, it just never occurred to me that it could even be Kid Cudi enough for me to go, is that Kid Cudi? You know, and so, but what a performance. I thought he was great. I mean, everybody is really great. Martin Henderson is absolutely hilarious as like the, yes. the guy behind the film. But then of course, to bring up these movies is to bring up Mia Goth. And she is one of the most talented people working today. And it fascinates me. Like I always say, I had trouble watching Joaquin Phoenix after Gladiator 
because that was kind of my introduction to him and he played such a fucking prick in gladiator that i could like i could not see him as anybody else because i was like so, oh uh, you bastard yeah. and just uh, and so when i see mia goth i think of her as pearl and yeah. then when her character maxine i don't even think of them as the same person and then i see no, an interview with mia goth role. and she's yeah. completely different in an interview and i'm like i it's amazing to me that someone that like I regard as this like kind of slow but like passionate psychopath is actually just a supremely talented artist who's so talented that I can't find the real person because she's so buried into them and also has a co-writing credit on Pearl. So it just, yeah. 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 And shout those out to two Ty movies, like, go ahead, I'm sorry. I, I was just saying like, shout out to Ty West for like, kind of like believing in himself for these three movies yeah because because when you're getting sold on one and and you know he might not be like the guy that's going to be like oh give me the budget for three films but he did these things in secret which speaks to like the confidence he had in in this movie and then like mia goth stepping in and and having like co-writing credits like whether you're i didn't jive with pearl like as much as i did x but without a doubt like it's so awesome to see this like getting a, a horror trilogy out of nowhere yeah to to a guy who's been obviously following it like his whole life like it's, yeah it's it's really beautiful too right and he made like and like the idea of like he just made x and sort of just secretly filmed pearl using the scraps and so for yeah. pearl to be that gorgeous looking and that complete and it was just like oh yeah we shot this as a side project in case x takes off and yeah. lo and behold it does it did and now there's a part three but what's so cool about that is the big issue with prequels is that you end up having to build characters that weren't built from the bottom up from the top down. You see it in like horror prequels where a side character that is not meant to have any sort of background has to be given one. So now you're yeah. building from the top down and it ends up being not interesting. And so this right. was a sneaky way to give Pearl a bottom up building in a prequel. And what results is if someone said, oh, which one should I watch first? I honestly don't think it matters. I don't think you need to see one before the other because it ends up being this complete thing. At the same time, both of them work individually. It's kind yeah. of magical what they pulled off. And the fact that they don't even look the same is really remarkable. Like they, yeah. I'm sure they were shot by the same team, but it's like, if you told me it was two different cinematographers, I'd believe it in a second. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and then Pearl is also paying, and maybe this is why it didn't work as much to me. It's paying homage to like an area of film I'm not familiar with. Did you get any um, kind of uh, like the, like the Technicolor era? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, I, I got what they were referencing. That is also an area of film where I have like just minimal knowledge. You know, I'd yeah. like to go back to more. But I, I think you'd have to be an idiot not to pick up those vibes. You know, it's very <laughs> yeah, clear yeah. what he's going for there. It's very clear these painterly clouds that are there, the color palette. I mean, it's set in that era. You mm -hmm. know, the music that she dances to is that early Hollywood ragtimey stuff. But, you know, it's just it's, it's just fucking weird. Like she has that killer monologue, that closing credits thing, uh, complete with the the. Uh, uh, what's it called yeah. the the wipe at the end right. it, it's just such a bizarre thing it's such a bizarre product to have a been successful and b taken off in a way that's actually been like widely accepted by pop culture 
And those are two like Herculean feats by a filmmaker that I until now would not have said he had it in him. And now I'm like a fan. And so I think I can put both of them on there. Right, right on. All right. What is your number seven as we come up on another ending break? We're going to get on some some fun like overlap here, but um, I think this will take us down to the next break for sure. My seven is Barbarian. Okay. Barbarian is my number two. okay all right i love barbarian i fucking love it like so awesome you know we don't have to have these saturated years or anything but the fact that like we got malignant last year we got barbarian this year and like without a doubt these are two horror mainstays that i'll be taking on for like for a very long time oh yeah and and i didn't get to revisit it like i wanted to but this is something like i said i'm going to be revisiting it for like years to come i mean and, and just one of like the rare films that like no one spoiled it. Like for as much as we're yeah. like on social media, like no one had to say, oh, don't spoil this. Like we were all kind of like, kind of just maintained, you know, we were not revealing any, anything. And it was yeah. just so cool to like experience in real time, which you don't really get to these days where, you know, every trailer selling like every bit. And, and what a great trailer too, for as much as I really don't like to watch, obviously I had seen that one. Yeah. And I'm like, and it's selling what it's doing in the first, you know, in that three part structure of that first yeah. part. So, wow. It's like bringing us into this world and seeing like untrustworthy versus trustworthy characters mm-hmm. and like spinning that on you when you like least expect it. And like, this is just one part of the movie and it yeah. could have just been a movie itself. Well, that first but, act is like yeah, that, yeah. that is a, the thriller that it's pretending to be could have been a real good movie and yeah, yeah. it would have been thematically resonant. It would have been thoughtful. It would have been scary. It would have been intense. And of course it is a bit of a bait and switch, but like, yeah, I really love the trick that barbarians playing uh, watching it a second time though. What I think is so cool about it is it's a very, very strongly directed movie. And for yeah, and, Zach Gregors, who's like a, I mean, I'm sure he had his hands directing stuff for Whitest Kid You Know, but um, yeah. like watching this movie, like the direction is is very, the way that it's directed shifts through each of the acts right? and uh, kind of coaxes the viewer into that area of, oh, I'm expecting this. And then even yeah. after the first bait and switch, when you go, well, now I don't know what to expect, it still regularly makes you fall for it. And I think almost all of that comes through in the direction. It's so yeah. well done. And and I will not lie. Heading up to this movie, I'm like, okay, you're. This is a horror film directed by the guy that did Miss March. I'm yeah, like, yeah. There's, I was like, there's no way this is going to be good. But then this is kind of speaks to like I guess her trajectory from like all the other filmmakers who started in comedy and do horror, like Jordan Peele, right? Yeah. And it's kind of like such a more of an accessible avenue than I had even realized. And, um, but yeah, I mean, Zach Krager, he's such a strong director. And I got, I have a couple of notes here. I don't know if you got a chance to read um, Letterboxd did a really um, nice, like little uh, article about the films that influenced Barbarian. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's so cool. Cause it's, it's not like, like so overtly in like this Tarantino way, but like, once you hear everything he's hitting, you're like, oh wow, that makes total sense. Yeah. But I, I, I jotted down a few here and one audition. Male yeah. Privilege, right? Yeah. Easy. Uh, another one is um, 
he's paying like a lot of homage to Sam Raimi, right? But oh, of course, a, yeah. There's a shot in like Evil Dead 2 where they're following like Bruce Campbell like through a car window. Mm. And it's like the same like kind of like tracking shot that we're following Justin like through the um, through the basement. <laughs> that and, great and, moment where he's measuring the one room and is completely clueless to the fact that there's a bloody bed and a camera. My favorite scene of the year. I it's mean, so good. He's such a committing to prick. the bit and uh, and yeah, but he he said he was going for uh, from Rami in the basement and then David Fincher um, in the top like floor. Yeah, and um, uh, another one is irreversible. Which, oh uh, yeah um even her you know, just walking down the alley is evocative of yes. uh monica bellucci and that yeah. rough scene yeah. very specifically not to to spoil anything but one character's death sequence yeah is uh, uh the same death sequence in the irreversible with the uh what is it the fire extinguisher fire extinguisher yeah and it's brutal brutal and, like, to have this kind of like you know low budget film right you know it's still pretty low budget and and to have that absolutely look gnarly and happen in such a short sequence completely out of nowhere and it's like wow like this is a great horror scene and i will say this too one of the cool things about that scene is so many movies do that where it's like oh it's shocking gore that's one of the few instances where as it was happening i was like oh this is scary yeah that moment is legit scary and Barbarian is the first movie in a while that even before it shows its hand, I was like, this is a scary fucking movie. Like, this is scary yeah. stuff. Yeah. And also, too, like, one of the side effects is, uh, and I hope this doesn't spoil too much, but, like, I constantly say to my cat now, I chase her around the house and I go, bah, bah. So me and my girlfriend have a good time saying bah, bah to, to the yeah. cat. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, and then, uh, there's one rule in cinema, and it's that if Richard Brake shows up, it can't be a 100% bad movie. And Richard Brake shows up <laughs> in this movie, and it's it's a great movie. But even if it was right. terrible, his inclusion means that it's not all bad. Yeah. And and then the last one I had here, I mean, there's a there's a ton of them. I think there's like maybe 15 to 20. But the last one I have here is um, uh, his ode to like true romance, which I oh, guess yeah. this leap is a good leeway into talking about Justin Long's character, but um, it's basically like the Hollywood douchebag scene convertible. Yeah. And which is also it's, our intro. He's Justin so Long. funny too on the phone. And, the shit he says is unbelievable. Yeah. And like probably, I don't know, maybe the perfect casting in a movie I've seen this year. Yeah. Because, because Justin Long is spoiler. He's fucking awful. Yeah. Awful he's a, he's a monster. Movie. Yeah. Yes. But I love that they tease at his redemption too. And then he immediately throws it in the trash. Yeah. And I think it's why like the comedy like throughout works so well is because we're able to like see, see him not as his character in the film, but literally as Justin Long. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, he is morally awful, but he's also fucking hilarious. Yeah. He's, yeah, it's, it's a brutal character because like, he's almost an archetype of a real person now. Like that's not even just like a character, like that guy, I've met that guy a hundred times and he always oh, really? sucks. Well, not Justin Long. Oh. I mean like the, <laughs> oh, yeah, that yeah. guy air yeah. quotes that he plays, right, like right, the yeah, dude yeah. that he plays, it's like, I've met so many versions of that guy and they all suck. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I, I love that. Like who is the, um, what's the main character uh, Tess. Hmm. So I love how like, 
she kind of plays off of each one through throughout the the film both keith and aj because um you know i think it's a really like prominent film about um kind of like what women go through yeah and and tr and and having to trust people that they're really not sure about mm. so like having her trust i don't want to spoil anything but like just to see her interact with these two people is like yeah. she's always just gated in you know there's no perfect outcome she has to be yeah 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 so i i thought that was like but even like, really like i love when the um the the homeless guy is like don't go in the house don't go in the house yeah. and, and like a trope too and naturally like, you go of course she's like afraid of this guy and then we learn more and it's like yeah, damn yeah. like there's literally no way for her to navigate logically because yes. she has to she always has to have that guards up just by sheer you know virtue of being a woman yeah. i do love when she's doing her job interview and the lady who's interviewing her is like you you should not be staying like <laughs> she's like oh, i'll be fine she's like no yeah. and not not even in a i specifically know what's going on but just like that area absolutely not right, None of right. That, but yeah and also i mean the smash cut to that song at the end is uh just like what literally a perfect song for that home run and, Total and once you run. like look into like the, the the layers of that actual song which i'm sure you're aware of oh yeah yeah it's, it's like all right what you're doing here is is almost expected but the way you're playing it off is just yes chef's kiss it's exquisite exquisite yeah. all right let's take a quick break and then we'll uh we'll finish this out because i think some overlap will cause the next portion to be a little quicker right right word be right back all right so we're up to what number six six all right my number six um i honestly didn't expect this but it's a movie that i've rewatched multiple times and it has just really grown on me but uh my number six is the batman all right i um i think matt reeves is a tremendous blockbuster filmmaker he did the back half of the new planet of the apes trilogy and that is an underrated trilogy that I think is a marvel of craft story and action. And I think that's what we're getting here with, with the Batman. I love Batman. I think Batman is so cool. Um, I've loved every iteration of Batman. I like it all because, you know, people get hung up on like, Oh, Batman does this. He doesn't do that. Batman does whatever you need him to do he because he can be Adam West who totally fucks, you know, and that's goofy <laughs> Batman. He gets in surfing contests with the Joker. He can be a Ben Affleck Batman who also fucks, who angrily lifts weights and tries to fight Superman. He can be Michael Keaton Batman, who's just kind of a weird guy that likes bats, but has a lot of good gadgets. He can be Christian Bale and, you know, the James Bond of Batman, who's all gadgets. This is the first time that Batman captured my favorite era of the comics, and that is the era of things like The Long Halloween, where it is a mystery first and a Batman movie second. It's a police procedural before it is a Batman movie. And I think that's captured so well here. For me, Batman, like I love the Nolan Batman, but they're actually some of my least favorite of the bunch because the idea yeah. of Batman in the real world, just like that doesn't interest me because frankly, that can't happen. Great Bruce it's, Wayne though. I mean, Great Bruce Wayne. Yeah. I think that's why I revisited and, and I was kind of like, unfortunately a little bit lower on it than I had previously been but i mean no i i think what pattinson's doing is just i think it speaks more to just him as an actor oh and absolutely i also think 
I think that's what we're not getting and not to talk down or long about it, but what Marvel's doing is, you know, whoever's playing them, they are the character. Yeah. Whereas I think that Pattinson actually has acting ability, like to, to showcase Batman in a little bit different way than we've seen him in the past. Right. hundred yeah. percent. And, you know, cause the funny thing, if you get cast as Batman or you get cast as Bond, the first question that is asked is who's going to be the next person? You know, like we never get a chance to really like sit with that. And I think Pattinson, uh, he's the first in a while that it's like, yeah, it is a little bit of a stunt casting because he's not who we'd expect. But as mm-hmm. it turns out, like in the suit, it's not just Batman. You know, it's not just a Batman suit over some, you know, a, a, a cipher. You know, I, I think even in the suit, he is acting because this is the first time really that it captures the notion that like, you know, it's the it's the conversation that Bill has at the end of Kill Bill. You know, we look at, at uh, you know, Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne. You know, he's Bruce Wayne and then he puts on his bat suit and he's Bruce Wayne in a suit. And my favorite era of comics is Batman reconciling the idea of, no, I am Batman. Bruce Wayne is the suit. Batman yeah. is who I am. This is how I self-define. This is how I self-identify. Which I think Mask of Phantasm does really well. It does do that very well, yeah. Yes. And he struggles yeah. with that. I actually need to watch that again. It's been so long. Um, but Probably I love the... Favorite. Yeah. Everyone seems to love it. I remember being like pretty high on it, but I, I just don't remember much of it at all. It's but, you know, to, yeah. to recently departed uh, Conroy, uh, nothing but respect. Yeah. But, uh, and so like this the combination of like, okay, this is Batman and Bruce Wayne is the costume he doesn't want to wear. And the idea that like, this is the real world, but we're not working on trying to explain like, why does Batman's cape do that? Like in, in the Nolan Batmans, it was like, oh, we have electricity that runs through this certain uh, thing <laughs> that turns it. It's like, really I don't technical. give a fuck why that happens. Yeah. I don't care. And so, like, this has certain things. Like, yeah, he's got taser fingers. Yeah, he has a little, like, super juice that he stabs into his legs. I don't need to know why. I trust that he has it. The end, I don't care. But it's also not going into, like, oh, Mr. Freeze has a freeze gun. And, you know, (laughs) Poison Ivy got bit by a Greta Garbo plant. Now she has to act like that. Like, we don't, it's, it's a mix. It's the perfect level of both of those that I don't think has been captured since the very first Keaton Batman. Yeah. I like and that granted, this my favorite too. is still Batman Returns, but you know, same, absolutely yeah. top notch. But yeah, also, well, I mean, totally like, a Christmas movie. Totally a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah, although the Batman didn't really make it on on my um, my top ten or fifteen, I, I I love the approach. I mean, we've mm. heard the backstory how many times? We don't yeah. need it anymore. We don't need it ever again. So just having it just straight zoom straight into it. Is, yeah. um, is like the way it should have been done and the way that it was done. So def- definitely dig that aspect of it. Killer score. Um, score the fact is, that they have great. a Nirvana song is like the recurring motif. Something yeah. yes. Perfectly yeah. captures that. That image of Gotham is so good. I love <laughs> this version of Gotham. I love the will they, won't they between Catwoman and Batman um, I think that Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon is like galaxy brain level casting. Yes. That's just yeah. unbelievable that they even consider right. that. And, you know, he nails it. I love the Penguin. I love the Riddler as Zodiac. I think that's the way to go. That's the perfect example of marrying real world with with fantastical stuff, because like, OK, the Riddler likes riddles. 
okay, yeah. how about this? How about he's an online persona that has created an underground cult based around the riddles that he does? Boom, suddenly it makes more sense. Suddenly the yeah, cult yeah. of personality yeah, that it's, follows it's a villain isn't pre-established. Yeah. It's lived in, yeah. Well, not Batman forever here, but, yeah. you know, shout out, you know. Shout out, the... love it. Um, <laughs> but, like, this is, what's cool about this is if, if Batman 2 just decides, like, we're going to go with the Penguin and it's just going to be a mob story, that would work. But if it goes, we're going to go a little supernatural and have Mr. Freeze show up, that would also work. Like, yeah. every mode of Batman can fit in this world without betraying it. But really the main thing for this is, the, the first time I saw this movie, I was so excited. I went to bed early, unbeknownst to me. Like I was like, I'm going to bed early so that I'm like super fresh to watch this the next day. And I lay down to go to sleep. And right about then, the food poisoning that was brewing in my stomach kicked in. Ooh. And so I was like up all night on that like half shroom trip mentality of like really bad food poisoning. So I had no sleep. I was an absolute oh. mess. And I went <laughs> and I was riveted. And if there Did you see is it in Dolby or IMAX, yeah. I, so I yeah. saw it just at like a regular, like a press screening. And then I immediately bought tickets for that weekend in a Dolby, which yeah. sitting in the chair Ooh, as the, yes. the uh, Batmobile starts going off. Unbelievable. Yeah. And so a testament to this movie is that it is a huge ask to say, sit and watch our brooding Batman for three hours. And I did not feel the length at all. I was completely on board. I love the mystery. I love the ambiguous nature of like half the things that are like, there's a moment where he confronts the Riddler and the Riddler starts talking. Like he knows that Batman is Bruce Wayne and Batman's just sitting there like, uh, and he doesn't say anything. And then it slowly becomes clear that the Riddler actually has no fucking clue. He's just pissed <laughs> at Bruce Wayne. And Batman has a moment of like, Oh, thank fuck. Oh, and like Way it's these little shoulders. moments, yeah. And it's these little moments like that pile up, and I don't know, it's just great. You got uh Peter Sarsgaard as as a DA that is like you know, uh, has a bomb strapped to his neck. You've got it, just every little piece of it is such a cool thing, and th this is what I want out of a Batman, and it delivered. And I was, I was expecting it to be decent, I was not expecting right. it to be probably like the the best outside of Batman Returns. Right. <clears throat> and the 4K? Mwah! Exquisite. Yeah. I'm, I'm Love everything about it. that one. Yeah, maybe not have been high on it my first watch, but totally one I wouldn't mind watching again. I mean, It's like a good mood to be in. I hate to say yeah. it's all vibes, as the kids are saying these days, but like it really <laughs> is. It has these great yeah. vibes. Such a yeah. great world. That highway can smell the rain. So, so good unbelievable stuff yeah yeah i need that like for for three hours but and <laughs> just give us a fury road with batman oh my god oh, <laughs> oh. i'm horned yeah. up now yeah the the highest compliment i can probably give this movie is i brought my disc home to my parents house my dad does not like anything he likes goodfellas <laughs> and that's it Oh, he's very much okay. an old style don't show emotions because emotions are gay kind of thing like he's really ass backwards and it's I think just he's painted a, 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 an interesting picture of your father over the years he's, he I sounds like a like a is he a fan of like kevin costner he seems like a no he does not like kevin <laughs> no? costner no because okay. he's because he's a pretty boy in air quotes oh, so. okay. but my Got dad it. is that guy and i love my dad right. but like he's yeah. definitely of another less progressive era yeah. and it sucks he was like he like he can't pay attention to movies that aren't good fellas, but he was like audibly reacting 
to Batman. Sick. Yeah. And That's just like experience. really yeah. feeling it. Yeah. And so I'm watching it with it. I'm like, you know what? This is, I, I'm glad this is hitting you because he doesn't open up emotionally because emotions are, are just, it's not yeah. manly to show emotions. It's just that right, type. Right. And so like when, when Alfred blows up, he was like, well, you, you, you can't kill Alfred. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, and he's like, oh, good. He's okay. He's okay. And I'm like, I know that deep down what you're saying is this tender moment that Alfred is having with Bruce is oh, a nice thing to that. share with a father figure. And this is the closest you and I'll ever get. That's what he's right. saying. But what's coming out of his mouth is you can't kill Alfred. Can't do it. And so like, I got to pay props to this movie because it was an unexpected bonding experience with my typically difficult to bond with father. So huge shout out. Batman's got them daddy vibes. I love it. Right on. Yeah, so that was my number six. What do you got? All right. Maybe the last one will have overlap. I'm not sure. We'll see. But number six, definitely my favorite theater experience of the year, Top Gun Maverick. This is in my honorable mentions. Oh, I thought it would make For it. Sure. Wow. I thought okay. so too, but there was just other stuff I wanted to shout out. That said, That's I totally rewatched fair. this the other day and I did not expect to cry at the end and I cried at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, going into this, I, you know, I hit um, OG Top Gun probably the first time, um, except, you know, um, TNT clips back in the day, you know, mm. the, the reruns. So going into this, I kind of had low expectations, but yeah, I don't much Tom care Cruise for Top at the Gun. Same time. Yeah, yeah. But like, hey, Tom, Top Gun's a movie too, that you so. love, but you don't really like. That's uh, the yeah. way I describe it. Like, yeah. I respect it and I love it, but I, I don't think I'm ever going to watch Top Gun again. Right, right, yeah. But in the same token, going into this, you know, sitting down, I have these two guys next to me that look like they haven't been to a theater since the OG Top Gun. Yeah. So they're given, like, maybe too much energy for people but at the same time i'm like okay like this is like the theater experience and like literally everywhere from like all walks of life are here for it and so it it just plays out in expected ways almost but i'm just living it like moment to moment so that like the whole film all the way up until you know the last kind of you know expected uh you know fail safe sequence where yeah and, and my jaw was dropped. I was just like, and you know, if you tell somebody, it's like, oh, you know, well, like, what else did you expect? And I was like, I don't know. I wasn't expecting anything. I was just there moment yeah. to moment. And uh, yeah, I just loved it. Like, and, it's and, an incredible piece of, of like entertainment. One, I would love to see the special features for, because one thing that bothered me in the OG Top Gun was like these, the fighter jet choreography was mm. so hard to trace i'm just like my mind i, I don't understand where where it almost at. feels like stock footage <laughs> edited after the fact yeah but here i'm like oh man like i'm tracking them through the air like i feel and these are just such like like fine-tuned sequences that they mm. have to get right and they're putting like literal just humongous imax cameras in these small cockpit fighter jets mm. and and just flying them all over everywhere and they're making it like look so beautiful it makes all the difference in the world knowing that the actors are actually sitting in the back of a jet pretending like they're flying because like in the original they do a good job of selling you on it like i know that it's just anthony edwards you know sitting there doing this thing and that's fine but if like you there's a there's a tangible feeling difference when you see the the ground rocketing by in the background you're like that's that's actually there 
You know, this yeah. isn't just a shaking set. That is a dude that, you know, fighting for consciousness as he's acting a script, like amazing. Right. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, definitely my, my favorite theater experience of the year. And uh, Tom Cruise, the, 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 the last one, I guess. Yeah, he really the is. Last action star. And I totally believe with the Mission Impossible sequences, uh, I mean, I, I, it feels like he's actively trying to die on set. Yeah, I mean that's how that's how it, with someone with a a closet filled with as many skeletons as his has, the I'm only sorry, way yeah. to get through and just maintain is just being like, listen, I know that I'm the demigod of a pretty problematic cult, but uh, how about you tie my ass to that plane? <laughs> and we fly it as close to space as possible. You're like, ah, yeah, you know what? Dude, Everybody's go. on set like, yeah, uh, just go for it. Get on it, man. Yeah, yeah, ride that motorcycle off a cliff. And then another cool layer to it too, which, you know, feels quite obvious is just like Tom Cruise's legacy, like in this film. Like this is mm. very much about like Tom Cruise and, and him kind of like saving the, the cinematic experience or like preserving it in his own way too. And you know, you see that so much with Maverick about him kind of like saving the day for other people as well. Yeah. And um, and uh, again, with Val Kilmer, too, like that whole sequence is Ooh, it's really, so good. It's, it's so beautiful. And and um, and I, I guess I didn't really know, but I think they actually um, did some some like audio effects because Val Kilmer can't really speak. Yeah. So I, I truly do believe like, you know, we get Tom Cruise and his like ugly crying sometimes, but but that really feels like such a like an important scene just for them as actors too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I yeah. you can definitely feel. I mean, even like when he types his responses on the screen, there's yeah. like three exchanges where he just points to the same response, and it's almost like we we're writing that dialogue in our heads because of just what what monumental presence both of these titans are literally putting forth on screen and so it works as both in the narrative of the film and the meta narrative like you're saying of like these guys are these guys are of another era and one of them can't really work anymore and the other one is just like trying desperately to make sure that that <laughs> yeah. era stays alive on his shoulders it's it's phenomenal stuff and and the movie is about like it is about that legacy it is about you know, going out and getting that thing. Like it's as much about Pete Maverick Mitchell, you know, learning about, you know, learning to usher in the next generation as it is of Tom Cruise, just trying to keep, like you were saying, cinema alive and making sure that it is still there for the next generation. Yeah. At all costs. Yeah. And the fact that Pete Mitchell, like, I love the idea in a vacuum that it's just like, here's a guy who does not want to take any promotions because he just wants to fly. And then by the end, he learns, like, I'm a good teacher. Yeah. And that is a really moving, not since Billy Madison. No, uh, like, that is, like, a really, <laughs> a really moving thing, though. Like, this guy is like, hey, you know, I, I am a dinosaur. I can't do this forever. But I can, I can create people who can exceed the limits that I've hit. Yeah. I can send someone to Mach 11. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, yeah, the opening sequence super sick yeah super that. and i love the the scene where he steals a plane just to prove he can do it yeah, yeah to yeah. prove that's like mm, that is just whiz bang film i wish this was actually on my list i mean <laughs> and i love yeah. i mean i what hit me was at the end when he's just like hey thanks for saving my life and he's like yeah that's what my dad would have done and then so yeah. how can oh, it fly so how the fuck man gaga <laughs> kicks in oh so yeah. good 
fucking love it yeah right on the beach the beach volleyball sequence too you know we're getting that homoeroticism again but it's so cool because because here is tom cruise again like looking better than anybody else his age completely shredded what wizardry he's going through but nevertheless they're back doing the uh what's the football the uh what do they call it I mean, all I know is that he's like, how do they play? He's like, oh, it's offense and defense at the same time. And then they never <laughs> expound upon that at all. <laughs> and they just go at it. Yeah. Just, yeah, go crazy. Yeah. So he's in that sequence. He's just like giving it his all. He takes like a, a rest on the beach. Yeah. And you're just like, this is like the moment for him. And like yeah. it ch- trickles out through like the rest of the film too. Like but he even kind of running that, uh... with the younger dogs, but like being the old dog, but like leaving it all out there. Yeah, letting them do their thing, which I think comes together too. Because like I love that Miles Teller goes to save him. I love that um, the actor is Glenn, uh, but uh, what was his name? Uh, Hangman, Glenn Powell. Yeah, Hangman. Yeah, yeah. You know, ends up you know coming through to save the day. Which that moment is like amazing when That's he what I'm saying. throws like, up. I, you, you know it's coming, but yeah. when I'm there in the moment, jaw drop. You're like, like oh, what? Yeah, yeah. Hangman, baby, they're friends again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, this really ran the risk of just being a carbon copy of the original. And like, it's not, it is, but it's also completely not. And I love, again, we still have yet to find a good role for good old John Hamm. But here is a move, here's a role that he was like born to play. So good here. Yeah. So, so good, good here. Just hard ass military guy. Square yeah, job. He is definitely younger than Tom Cruise, but Tom Cruise, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that. He has no thetans in his body, so he doesn't age. Yeah. 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 (laughs) All right. Let's see. Um, What's next? Five? Top five. All right. Here's a strange one. I don't have much to say about it, except that it introduced me to a filmmaker that I've really grown to love working through his body of work. Um, This is a movie that has a very cozy vibe, Eh? a very cozy vibe that I enjoy and also just speaks to my favorite era of of filmmaking, the 80s slasher sci-fi. Christmas, bloody Christmas. Joe Begos. This came out this year. I saw it at the Philadelphia Film Festival. I watched it again the other night. It is quite literally just a robot Santa goes on the fritz and starts killing people. But dive in, sell me. I mean, it's so good. But they got a real Christmas decorated Main Street in some town was just like, yeah, you can shoot here. So it's just this beautiful snowy exterior with real tangible snow. And it is a young woman who owns a record store and her and her employee are just going to go get drunk on Christmas Eve. And lo and behold, this robotic Santa decides to fuck with that. And the first half is like almost like a Kevin Smith movie because they're just talking pop culture. There's like a will they, won't they sexual chemistry. It's actually like really well done. And then this Santa starts killing people. And it's a mix of classic slasher goriness um, real tangible explosions mm. and by the end it's become like this crazy animatronic santa puppet with its skin melting off shades of terminator but it's all lit in like hyper bright neon it's gory oh, as yeah. shit okay. it's funny it's gnarly and it, it like there's no fat on it just no fuss no muss robot santa killing people young lady tori's got to survive and she's kind of like a badass final girl at the outset you know, she does not fuck around. She's she's a little rock and roll chick. So she doesn't have like this virginal aspect to her. She literally gets eaten out midway through the movie and it's hot. <laughs> and it's just like, it's a great thing. You know, it's 
it's the kind of rock and roll filmmaking that I aspire to make if if I ever make a movie. And I've gone back and watched a lot of Joe Bagos' work just because I was so impressed with this. Uh, mileage may vary. It is very much a, a specific thing. Right. People might call it a pale homage to, you know, the slashers of the 80s and such. But like, I don't give a shit. I, I think that it really works. And it's just like, it could be a whole movie of just her and her co-worker doing a will they won't they think discussing their favorite metal albums for two hours in the beautifully lit snow and i would be on board throw in a robotic santa all that much better and it rules and it's got um what's that guy's name jeff daniel phillips shows up he was herman munster in this year's Immediately the monsters I thought jeff daniels <laughs> no not jeff daniels although he's another guy though that is, if he shows up in a movie it can't be all bad yeah. and yeah it's just it's just a rock and slasher and i love that kind of thing and it's been so long since i've seen a stripped down basic slasher movie that just delivers the goods and this delivers the goods i love christmas bloody christmas where did you get to see this I saw it at the Philadelphia Film Festival. It is also currently streaming on Shutter. Okay, sick. So it is available, and uh, I'm gonna buy. Like I, I went out and bought all of Joe Bagos's movies after this, <laughs> just because, like, I mean, because they're cheap. But you know, it it has like a very DIY feel of just like this is a dude who just said I want to make a movie and just got his friends together and put it together and like essentially doing what Ty West did, where it's like it's clear you love all of these movies and you want to do one yourself, and he nailed it you know it's goofy it's a robotic santa but yeah right like, right literally it's the totally defense seems up your alley yeah it's totally my shit <laughs> the defense department has a bunch of robots that they decommissioned so they decided to dress them up as santas for for you know christmas time decoration why so that a movie could happen it's the most right. illogical <laughs> setup but you know the question you have to ask is do i want a murderous robot santa or do i not and of right. course, the answer is yes. So, and, and it's like 80 minutes long. So just total metal. Awesome. Loved it. Yeah. Not much else to say about it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Going into top five for me. Top right? five. Let's hear it. Oh, boy. Um, I want to say overlap, but you, but you threw me with a curveball for Maverick. So maybe overlap, maybe not. But my five is Banshees of Inishirin. Also in my top 15. Okay. All right. Fantastic but, flick. Yeah. This one, it, I, this is my first McDonough. So I okay. didn't really know what to expect. And um, I was actually on the, the fringes of if I would see it or not at TIFF and I didn't have it scheduled. A friend had a random ticket and I pulled up maybe like 10 minutes before it started. Nice. And uh, I'm so glad I did. Um, I think I'm, Colin Farrell's having like a really great year. I mean, uh, after Yang, I still got to see that. Kind of slips down. I mean, I, I would like to see that again. Um, but that, Batman, and, and this one, he is so good. Well, I'll say this. Um, if you told me right now to pick who I want to get the best actor Oscar this year, it is Colin Farrell in Banshees of Inisherin. Why can't we just give it to him? Yeah, yeah. it's the best. <laughs> he does more with his little caterpillar eyebrows than oh, some yeah. actors do in their whole career. It, it's... yeah really incredible this should have been higher on my list it just came down to what i wanted to shout out yeah and then also top of the call sheet for the village weirdo who are you gonna pick oh yeah barry, barry keogan is it i don't barry know how keogan. to say his last name is it keogan kogan kagan i i can never tell because i've never like heard that. it out loud yeah, yeah. bk but, but his character is so layered too because you know he has this moment where he's like i guess like the village dope 
yeah. apparently more doper than Podrick in a way or Pydrick. I'm not sure. It's it's like P A D R A I C. So it's like a super Irish version of Patrick. At, yeah, just like Colin, which is yeah. Colin probably, but Colin. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. But uh, Dominic's character, played by Barry Keoghan, he's he's so layered. He has that that sequence with um, with Carrie Condon uh, towards the end, and it's so heartbreaking, you yeah. know. And um, and and it's just like every character has like what we would present them to be, and then there's just layers upon layers like after that. Mm. And, this is uh, one too that I'm glad I saw with the crowd because like because it was the opening night film at the Philadelphia Film Festival. Okay. And it was one where I'm like, all right, it's a McDonald movie. So like, I'm a fan. So it's like, okay, it's going to be kind of funny. It's going to be dramatic. And at some point the hyper violent shoe is going to drop. I had no idea that it was going to be like this raucously funny. Like it is really funny. Yes. And, and I can't even the understand what they're that. saying the whole time. Yeah. But I'm, <laughs> yeah. yet I'm laughing. <laughs> so yes, rewatch. I need the subtitles. Yeah, that's true. It, it would be helpful to have subtitles. But at the same time, like the rhythms are so well done yeah, that it yeah, almost doesn't matter. Yeah, they're throwing it. I'm catching it. Like what's yeah. funny, like I'm not always getting in context, but I'm still like laughing at it. Um, and, and yeah, and um, I, I think uh, Carrie Condon plays probably like a more underrated role in this film and she's not getting maybe as much love as everybody else mm -hmm. but but her her story feels like so integral to maybe my experience this year too you know kind of like leaving home and, and having to grapple with this like leaving people behind in, in search of like something better mm. and uh and it's it's such like a like a beautiful like sequence like and you really feel that emotion even if she's not saying anything you're just really aware of like what she's what she's going through you know yeah oh yeah I, she's another one where like this is a movie where everybody has a chance to be the straight man and the goof, except for her. Right. She's like always yeah, yeah. the straight man and always the anchor. She's like the one person who seems of a different area than Inisher and everyone else is a character. She seems like she was transplanted there from somewhere else and thus absolutely should escape, but is so kind and so warm that like she knows that if she's not there as the anchor, her brother who is kind, but is a little bit dim, uh, or was he, he's afraid <laughs> yeah. of being dull uh, what? Yeah. Dull? Um, yeah she knows that but also it's like how 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 can she live her life with this anchor you know dragging her dragging her down and it's yeah she's yeah. a really wonderful performance i would love to see her get some awards love as well yeah th there's been a, a couple great um kind of memes and prompts from this film and somebody said uh the banshees of Ina sharon is like when a mutual unfollows you yeah and and i thought that was like perfect you know the way yeah. that like column separates himself i'm like yeah that's it's yep. exactly how you would sell this to somebody that frequents the twitter spaces it that's spot on because it like I, I i didn't know any i went in blind and it's just funny that it's like what's the inciting incident oh yeah guy just doesn't want to be friends and yeah, it seems yeah. so basic but then what spirals out from that is just so heartbreaking and and funny like the scene where drunken uh Pat Patrick, Patrick uh confronts Colm and the cop at the bar and just gives him a what oh for god do you remember the that word that, that Colm says he's Colm specifically says a word that he knows Podrick will not understand no, um, no. 
it's just this one word that's like obviously above his mindset yeah and project's like you know i don't understand what that yeah, means. yeah. <laughs> he has that later too when he's reading the letter from from the sister she uses some word and he's like i don't know what that i don't know i don't know what that was either <laughs> like he's just very yeah. much he knows where his limits are yeah yeah he's uh, uh i think that's one of those like even though it didn't make my list, I think that's one of those very good movies that over time, I think it's going to emerge like, no, that's actually a great movie. I think that might be up there with your no country for old men's, you know, like the things where Mm -hmm. we all go like that was that, that hit a time place and, and mode, you know, absolutely properly. It's, I love it so much. I love the line and I'm going to fuck it up where uh, uh, Dominic, when he first finds the, the stick with the hook on it, and he's like, yeah, you see what I found here? It's a stick with a hook on it. What do you, what do you think it's for? I think it's for hooking something about a stick's length away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so good. So well written. It yeah. really is. The rhythm that McDonough has is amazing. And I think it works best when he's working in like uh, an Irish brogue sort of thing. Um, his more Americanized movies, like Three Billboards, I think is fantastic. But because it's Americanized, you know, it stars Sam Rockwell and he's not doing that kind of thing. That sort of energy is kind of not there, but, you know, it is what it is. Right. All right. My number four, um, a movie that uh, I missed at the uh, Spring Fest at the Philadelphia Film Festival is like their mid-year fest. Um, because I wasn't told my press credentials were approved until after the festival was over. But uh, everyone was like, you got to see this movie. You got to see this movie. And so I finally bought a ticket when it came out. And uh, I, I loved it so much. Emily the Criminal. I miss this. At, um, so I attended Sundance Virtual. And this is one that like I missed. It premiered here in Denver. Missed it again. But I, I'm totally, this is on my radar. It's on Netflix okay, now. Up. So oh, nice. it's okay. like, and basically what it is, is... Um, Aubrey Plaza plays a young woman who uh, just, yeah, yeah, right? (laughs) It's just like a gig economy worker. She works for catering. She can't get a job because she has kind of a wonky uh, criminal record. Nothing major, but, you know, it is considered a felony, so it's tough for her to get a job. She's got tons of student loan debt, and she sort of stumbles into a credit card theft scam. And the way that it's framed is like, who could blame her? Like, you know, and so it's one of the best movies about the gig economy. One of the strongest movies about the idea of like, we all tell ourselves like what's an honest living, but as we watch corporations rise and we watch the middle class disappear and we watch the lower class grow in number, it becomes very clear that the concept of an honest living is a myth because, you know, you look at a big corporation and you go, Oh yeah, they're doing stuff that's legal, but it's not ethical. And so it's, it's the struggles of this young woman trying to make a buck and just get out of debt and just live with some dignity. And the only way that she can really figure it out is by doing something that is sort of victimless, but is not legal at all. And from there, a thriller emerges. It's another one that's like 90 minutes long, real quick. It's a, it's a directorial debut. And um, she just gives a great performance. Um, The, lead actor the guy who she kind of connects with is um i just want to get his name right because uh theo rossi sounds uh, really familiar yeah he's he's like in stuff i didn't recognize anything but he has one of those faces like he's on sons of anarchy oh yeah he was an army of the dead he was on luke cage you know he's just like around but um it's just like a really like breath thriller. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, and I definitely recognize him too, yeah. Yeah, right, he's got one of them faces. And so it ends up being like this really tense thriller where you know, you, you are rooting for the bad guy, even though she's not really a, a bad guy. And um, but there's a lot of moments where like because she's like a no nonsense New Jersey chick. She doesn't give a fuck <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. But like you feel for her because she's just somewhat a victim of circumstance. And like, like there's a great scene where she sits down for a job interview with. Um, oh, no. What is a. Uh, uh, what's her name? God damn it. It is uh, Gina Gershon. And it's one scene with Gina Gershon who's like interviewing her for a job. And when Emily finds out that this job is an unpaid internship, she kind of gets like, they get snippy with one another. And like Gina Gershon's just saying like, yeah, listen, when I started this job, I was like one woman in a room full of men (laughs) and blah, blah, blah. And Emily's just like, yeah, but you were getting paid. She's like, it doesn't matter. It's all about building this. She's like, I don't think you should tell me what to do if you're not going to fucking pay me. And like, it's like a very big fuck you pay me movie that feels like a really intense thriller that goes to some really surprising places and lands in an emotionally murky area. But um, I mean, utterly thrilling, just pure thrilling. It sounds like Plaza is definitely like selling it. Oh yeah. I, I love when she does this like kind of like strict forceful talking yeah it just makes me feel like so feral and i'm like yeah. oh my god like talk you're gonna to lose your mind that. watching this movie then yeah because she's like she's got yeah. that energy like like her whole like eye rolling thing is used yeah. to like a visceral mean mean streak here but she creates a character who has a hard edge but is is such a real life and and empathetic character that like you're rooting for her despite her descent into the criminal underworld but uh, like there's more than a few scenes where it's like a race against the clock and she's got to play it cool in a tense situation. And it's like, it gets the heart pounding. Um, I can't recommend it enough. This was, this was the one movie on my list that as soon as it ended, I was like, that's on my year end list. That's nice. the one. Well, and like, yeah, yeah, it's legit. So Emily, the criminal. Um, I feel like we're about to run up to another break, but my number three was everything everywhere all at once. So I'll just reiterate that I love that movie. And also uh, I know that A24 has gotten into the merch game as much as they've gotten into the movie game. The Daniels released a textbook on the multiverse through A24 that I bought and uh, it's a great purchase. So highly recommend. They go really into like depth about like, um, like space and stuff. Right. And yeah. It explores all these different multiversal theories, but it's like an activity book, like a, like a kid's textbook that goes through different ways to do it. It's pretty cool. And then my number two was barbarian. So when we come back from the break, we can do your three and two or your four, three and two. Yeah. Cause we already had those. Yeah. My number two is barbarian. Nothing more needs to be said about that. It just rolls. But um, yeah, let's do one more break and then we'll come back for your next three. We'll hit our ones and some honorable menchies. Yes, awesome. Word. All right, you're up. Hit me with your number four. All right, I'll be going four, three, two, right? Four, three, two. Yeah, you get to take the floor. Okay. You're a natural at this. This is good. All right, let's get it. Okay, this is the only one I got to revisit because it's been the one that's stayed with me the longest in ways, but I wanted to revisit just so I would have um, solid ground to speak on it, I guess. But um, favorite from from Sundance Virtual this year, which was um, for first time uh, feature director, Goran Stalevsky. 
It's called You Won't Be Alone. Um, maybe oh, I think I saw uh, this. Numi Rapace on it. I uh, did see this. She's kind of like being being sold as like the, the main person. And this has the guy who plays Diamantino in it, if I remember correctly. Have you seen Diamantino? About the soccer. Oh man, the soccer player who <laughs> with the heart of gold. Diamantino, okay. definitely recommend. Yeah, I, I saw this a while ago and I I've I seem to have forgotten about it, but I remember this. It's yeah, kind yeah, of like it, a single character, multiple bodies sort of thing through time. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I do so remember like if this. You're, if you're not cool. aware, it, yeah, it's based on um, like real folklore about the um, witches in Macedonia who would like mark you and then they would end up taking shape. So, so they thought like if you were a real witch, like you could be multiple people. Yeah. So, um, so it, it starts as, you know, someone gets marked and then at 16, they're due to be taken over by the witch. So it has this really interesting perspective of like this nature versus nurture thing of, of this mother who has her child marked and she holds her in captivity until she's 16. Um, so that the witch just never finds her. Obviously mm. the witch does cause she's a witch. That's what they and, do. And, and then, so now this is like her first experience into the world. So like, as she's changing shape through all these people, we get to see um, like, a perspective almost like a childlike perspective um uh throughout all these different characters in this macedonian village and um and it's really interesting too because it 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 takes her she's speaking very poetically but at the same time this is somebody that's you can tell she's kind of like uneducated she hasn't been in this world for mm -hmm. very long so the way that she talks about everything is is really beautiful and it's plays with a lot of evil at the same time and um i guess that's kind of like the all-encompassing thing of of you won't be alone and that's just um like a lot of people like born from evil um aren't evil mm -hmm. that that and also just trying to to keep yourself away from all this like captivity and evil doesn't mean that once you see it out you'll become that so okay. it's really, yeah, it's really cool just to see her take on these lives of, uh, of, of men who are like really destructive or like, uh, and then she also steps into like a, a woman's role too, right? Where she's at the hands of these men, which, which gets really ugly, but, um, but it, it's a really like hopeful film. And I would say it's probably marketed as a horror film. And there's some really like nasty sequences too. If you remember like some of the, the chest Sequences. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So i yeah, saw this so i think towards the beginning of the year yeah, i think i saw same, this at, yeah, at like either January overlook or, or nightstream yeah okay. and so i don't remember much but i remember my takeaway just being like it, it, there's sort of like an innocent soul that gets to experience a different rung of the social hierarchy depending on the body yeah. she's inhabiting and like right. I, I remember that sort of being what stuck with me but I, I honestly don't remember specifics besides recognizing the one actor as being the guy from diamantino yeah yeah and then Numi rapaces in it too so, yes yeah yeah you know yeah yeah but uh but yeah it's it, a lot of people say it's um has obvious influences of terrence malick um and i think that just i don't really have any like grounds to speak on it because i haven't seen any of his films mm. but it's basically like this open landscape this kind of like slow like poetic nature to to uh like a lot of the characters basically mm -hmm. so it, it's definitely more like 
philosophical drama than it is horror, but there are still some like really cool nasty sequences and and uh, like the I can remember the, the really color good. scheme. Yes, I remember there being like some pretty gruesome stuff, and I remember a very like like green and tan color scheme that's kind of like murky but also like verdant. Yeah, um, yeah, no, but I, I, yeah, I, I would love to watch it again. I, I completely forgot it existed until you mentioned it. I'm so glad this yeah. is on your list. Yeah, one of the unfortunate movies, you know, us as like physical media collectors and like yeah. film lovers of everything. This one, you, you can't even see it unless you buy it or rent it. So yeah, yeah, digitally. So you can't even buy it, but totally worth the the, the four dollars for anybody seeking that out. Um, it's it's available to to rent but but yeah one though like the one that's kind of like stayed with me like so early on in the year mm-hmm. and um just being as a like a genre fan of horror and then like having that extra layer of this like you know good from evil like sentiment is it was just really beautiful experience you get that in folk horror a lot where it's like yeah like a good folk horror like can really deliver on like the gruesome goods but while also like being more thoughtful than a, than just like a ripper, you know, like that's, I, yeah. I appreciate that. I don't always enjoy folk horror because sometimes the pace is a little bit sleepy for me, but yeah. I always end up appreciating it. Like I always end and like you're saying with this one, I always end up hitting a point where I go, Oh, that's, that's stuck with me. Even if I wasn't necessarily so engaged in the first time and folk horror has like a very unique alchemy to it that, that can produce that result. Yeah. And another interesting aspect is um, one of the actresses who plays out in like the, like the very last role. Um, her name is Alice Englert, mm. who is Jane Campion's daughter. No way. Okay. Yeah. That name sounds and familiar it, too. Is she in something else? Um, she I'm going to look her in, up. I don't think either of us followed them that follow, but that was like an, like an indie horror, um, I think a year or two ago. So obviously in, it, she was in The Power of the Dog oh uh, um, that's probably where it's yeah, yeah that would make sense that you know jane Campion. okay <laughs> yeah and and it was funny listening to the director in the interview he said he like um he i guess he knew of her and then he had the same reaction when he found out that she was jane campion's daughter and just completely went like head over heels because goran uh Stavlevsky, he says that that she is like a big influence in, in his films so you so can that definitely that see her yeah oh yeah yeah, that's so the fact so that you cool. got to have her was like so cool. Yeah. I'm trying to yeah, see if there's this movie she's in called Beautiful Creatures. And it's one where I'm checking to see if I saw it. That's one of the uh, <laughs> uh, the downsides of being a degenerate movie watcher. So you go, did I even see this? Yeah. Can't say that one rings a bell. Yeah, it, it, I, I, I evidently did not see it. So I guess it's, right, it's right. not a thing. But oh, I'm glad that made your list because like I, I completely forgot it existed. And, yeah. and I, I may have even seen it last fall. I don't remember. Right. But uh, right on. Maybe I'll revisit that soon. You got me yeah, Got me thinking about it. Very good. Excuse me. Yeah. Nice. Uh, three, sh- three should be really easy to talk about because if you're not sold on the casting and the premise, then it's going to be your thing or it's not. Okay. My number three. My number three is Sanctuary. And it's... it stars Margot Qualley, Christopher okay. Abbott, and it's a psychosexual thriller. Okay, I'm into all of this. I don't think I've seen it. No, it 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 had its premiere at TIFF. Okay. So um and which was amazing because Christopher Abbott was there. My like guy crush, if there is he's the best. Oh my god, yeah. yeah. He is a sexy and, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And he's so talented. Had, I mean, uh, po- so uh possess uh possessor. 
Possessor. So, Possessor um, is one of my favorite movies. Did you see Piercing? Ever. No, I didn't. I would love to. You would love Piercing. Yeah. And I want to see, um, what's the one? It's uh, Whitey something, or, is, or am I thinking something else? Wait. He's in Black Bear. Did you get to see that with Chris? I uh, did. With, uh, he's very that was a cool movie. On the Count of Three? Uh, that was in my uh, my list on the first half of the year. I thought that was okay. really fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. James yeah, White. Like, James White is the movie I was thinking of that I hear is oh, excellent okay. and he's in it, but I, I have not seen it. But yeah, Possessor, another movie, psychosexual yeah. movie that has a whole lot my of number one and gender fuckery. Same. Love that yeah. shit. But yeah, it's it's yeah, this obvious power dynamic between a dominatrix and the guy who's being inherited like this billion dollar company and them kind of having this like symbiotic relationship. And uh, it's incredibly like incredibly sexy it's incredibly like disturbing and it just i don't even that. believe i've heard of this yeah well I, yeah so it premiered at tiff and i'm not even sure i tried to look up before we recorded about when it's going to be released and i do not even know i mean and i'm looking at it they're the only two people in the cast yeah besides you know man in hallway woman in hallway yeah <laughs> fucking cool oh i can't wait for this yeah but this is like it was so up my alley. It was probably the first thing I slotted whenever the, the, the TIFF list came out. And, you know, you get into these movies where it's like, oh, you know, this is selling me like pre-watch. Like, what's it going to be like during? Yeah. And I'm just having like the time of my life watching it. Nice. It is, uh, yeah. And it, it's kind of like almost play-like, like, like set up like a play because it's all in like, just the hotel room. But um, Zach, uh, Zachary Wigan um who directed it i think it's maybe a second feature but he's doing a lot of like cool cinematic things too that that make it like like visually engaging you know i love when a single location that where a director can still fill a room yeah that's so and hard that's to exactly do and so yeah. often you just see like a, a pan around or this and that it's like uh, it feels like busy work but like when you can yeah. really make a single location sing it's better than the most vast location right but yeah, it's Margot Qualley, Christopher Abbott going at each other with high sexual intention and literal sex, sexual interaction over like 96 minutes. Sold. Like completely yeah. sold. That sounds incredible. <laughs> I love me a horny movie. That was my big yeah. problem with Babylon is that it's a movie with tons of sex it and it's horny. not horny yeah. enough. And so like, I mean, small potatoes, but like, yeah, yeah. I need me a horny movie possessor horny as shit i love that movie yes, yes. yeah horny and violent yeah yeah but uh right on but yeah, sanctuary yeah, sanctuary i don't even know who it's being distributed by but definitely one of those where i'm expecting it to to be released like probably limitedly next year sometime nice i'm gonna keep an eye open for it because that sounds incredible yeah nothing beats um, a chamber piece done right right a little little sip break for us yeah I just cracked right. into, uh, I got for Christmas from my girlfriend, this incredible locally produced gin. I don't even like gin. Ooh, I don't yeah, like gin, but gin. she got it because <laughs> I have a Wendigo tattoo and it's Wendigo uh, gin. And uh, it's really it's good. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really good. Gin and I'm sitting it on my, like, my new uh, John Waters uh, 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 <laughs> nice. poster. Yeah. Flamingo. Yeah, gin always tasted like, uh, like pine cones to me. Yeah, same. It's a really foresty. 
it's a piney flavor and of all the boozes it's the one that makes me misbehave most so like i'm a whiskey guy generally and okay. i don't drink i don't really drink a lot and um it's so it's typically whiskey but i had to crack into this since i just received it and it's very tasty so i gotta right i gotta open right my on. mind about gin or maybe i shouldn't open my mind about gin <laughs> and just leave it right here at this so uh, right on yeah all right so what are we all up right. to you got two N- number two number two. Um, oh man homing in on it number two um another tip screening that kind of just blew me out of the water no expectations hardly any idea what the storyline would be and i I think that's how people should go into it as well. Um, it's a return to soul. Okay, I don't think I've I'm even not heard sure of if you've heard it yet. Um, but it, it follows a um, uh, she is born South Korean and then it's raised in France, and this is like her return to soul. And it's um, basically like her getting back in touch with um, the the family that gave her away when she was younger, and um, and it's just just a beautiful and kind of like self-destructive story in a way too, about just kind of grappling with your past and um, basically like all about how like the destination isn't always what you expect when you arrive. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's just grappling with, with that like area of life and something that kind of like hit me too, especially with where I'm at. And I think that reflects, you know, a couple from my top five and eventually to my number one is about like, you know, what really like affected me this year. And, um, and, and seeing this film, it's, like I said, it's really beautiful, but there's a lot of like self-destruction in it too, where someone really doesn't know their place and like how they're grappling with it. And, and not everything is as you expect. And um, yeah, it, it's a beautiful story. Um, and I yeah, definitely suggest checking it out. I think it's going to have, uh, it, it made the Oscar shortlist. Oh, cool, cool. Um, so, um, so I'd imagine it's going to get some type of release. I think it's actually submitted from Cambodia. Okay, right on. Um, even though, so it's got, you know, Cambodian director has French and South Korean in it. Um, nice. And it's cool. It's a cool story to follow too, because um, maybe one of the first films that I've seen that kind of like integrate uh, like three different languages really well. Yeah. So like, there's like English in it, there's French and there's South Korean in it too which is um, just like really interesting to kind of like interweave through. Yeah, yeah. And that's also like that path of, you know, uh, France to Seoul and all that. I imagine that might be like uh, an immigration path that is more common that I'm giving credit to. And so like that's something that I've never thought about. And so like that's probably a pretty interesting thing to see. Yeah, something they cover in it too is there was this huge period where there was um, you know, predominantly white families in France that were adopting South Korean children. So mm. it's a really like, like um, a real historical thing that happened. And, um, and yeah, seeing that track through is just, um, you know, it, it's, it's heartbreaking at some time. It's really funny to watch. It's, you know, it's beautiful as well. And, and it's one that stuck with me and I, I can't wait to rewatch it too. I missed it at Denver Film Fest. They unfortunately did one screening of it. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was always one of those. On that one. The worst yeah, part about but, the film uh, fest life is you have to just heartbreakingly miss something. Yeah, and that that was this one for me. But um, but yeah, I, I implore people to check it out. Um, hopefully, it just kind of having that Oscar shortlist track, it might get kind of like a more of a um, theatrical release. That is it a I Korean production? I don't. It being submitted by Cambodia. I mean, like, oh, Cambodian. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
that. That's kind of cool. I mean, that's like, I'm sure there's a market there that I'm wholly unaware of. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's that's my number two. Def- definitely check that out. All right. We're up to the number ones. Then we'll hit some quick honorable menchies. My number one is a movie that um, I loved I immediately when I saw it because it's made by some filmmakers that I think are just like, like some of the most interesting and clever filmmakers working today. I knew it would make my list when I first saw it. It wasn't until I rewatched it just the other day that I was like, I think this is my number one, but um, I'm a huge fan of Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead and their quarantine project. Something in the dirt is my number one film of 2022. Okay. This has been like, I've seen this everywhere. I've seen their, their, how would you speak to their genre? Cause they, they kind of genre blend, right? And they it's have a always very thoughtful sci-fi thing, thing. Thoughtful sci-fi. Always okay. thoughtful sci-fi. And if you're a fan, there's actually the, every movie they have does take place sort of in the same world. There's like one little inkling of a connection between each of them does not require any sort of connection. It's just like a fun thing. But this is essentially, and the, the, the directors both play the stars of this movie and it's just two guys who through through circumstance are living in the same apartment building. And one day the one guy's ashtray just starts floating. And they both are totally shook by the fact that they're witnessing something expressly supernatural. And they decide let's make a movie about it. And the movie that they're making is the movie that we are watching. We're watching. And it's like a paranoid head trip movie that is super densely packed with, with uh, like paranoid. If, if a movie, like, if ever a movie took the right lessons of what to do with a quarantine piece, this is it. And, you know, moving away from, from the COVID-19 uh, epide- or pandemic, uh, it was interesting to see, like, what projects came out of it. A lot of Zoom movies, a lot of single location movies. I would imagine something like Sanctuary may have come from that because it's very easy to just say two people right, in yeah. a room. You know, our COVID officer is has an easy job if we just have two people in a room. But one of the things that Benson and Moorhead always speak to is they is go make movies with your friends. Go make movies with your friends. This movie, the closing credits say this film is dedicated to making movies with your friends. And so this is that. But it's a paranoid, it's a kind of single location, paranoid Los Angeles freakout movie that is of a piece with Under the Silver Lake, Murder Death Koreatown, uh, even something like The Long Goodbye. But it's it's a mix of supernatural, sci-fi, uh, a mix of just like general paranoia, conspiracy theory, all this stuff. And there's a meta text about the inherent falsity of pointing a camera at something. I don't want to get into too much detail, but like, <laughs> it's really funny. It's really thoughtful. It's legitimately scary. And it's the kind of thing that it's the kind of movie that's going to give you what you bring to it, except it's going to scramble what you bring through it and spit it back out at you in a way that, that affects you. And so I've watched it unpredictable but like to say that there's a like it's not incoherent but to say that there's a beginning middle or an end is just a fool's errand it's a kind of experience sort of thing that both times I watched it I came at it from a different angle and both times I came out of it equally entertained but thinking about something else and as someone who enjoys the world of conspiracy theory thought even if I don't buy it I enjoy the fun of it I love looking at JFK assassination shit you know like I love that kind of stuff but I also love things like under the silver lake that's paranoid LA shit 
Um, and I love single location stuff and I love DIY cinema. And this is all of that. And um, I'm just a huge fan of these filmmakers. And I think that this film really represents a huge step forward in the way that they write movies. And I would dare say in the way that movies are written. And um, if you're a fan of them, you know what to expect, but I would also say that you have absolutely no idea what to expect. Um, Is this the, the intro point for, for their work, do you think? Like for people that aren't aware? I would say a good intro point is probably their first movie, Resolution. But okay. my first movie was Spring, and um, which I've I think is great, That's but it, it, yeah. that one took a second viewing for me to, to like really gel with me. But all of their movies are good. I mean, their most mainstream is Synchronic, and even that is like really thoughtful, cool time travel too. movie. And I would say has a career best performance from Anthony Mackie. A bold statement, but like he's real good in it. Okay. But like this is, yeah, this is just like basic filmmaking out of a can that these two guys pulled off. And it ends up being just a, you probably hear it. I'm having such a hard time describing it because it's indescribable. But it spoke to the sort of lost feeling that I had coming out of quarantine, the sort of jaded feeling that I have as I lose trust in certain institutions. And just even as I enter middle age and am just trying to figure out who I am and what's going on and how all of that changes. It's all of that wrapped in one. But if you choose to ignore all of it, it's just a fun little sci-fi movie, a neat little chamber piece. But um, it's the kind of movie that like it ended and I felt equally hopeful towards what I'm capable of and absolutely horrified by just <laughs> what it means to be a human interacting in a society of other flawed lost humans. Um, I can't recommend it highly enough and I cannot describe it in any way that makes any amount of sense, but no, something I mean, in I'm the dirt is it. my number one. And the score is absolutely exceptional. Did, who did that? Do you know who did the score? I feel like I've also have heard of that um, this year of this being like one of the, the scores of the year. I mean, it's probably, honestly, it's probably one of their buddies. Like they do everything in house. They're like Daniels. Um, yeah. The composer is Jimmy Laval. L-A-V-A-L-L-E. He did all of their movies. The Endless, Synchronic, Spring. Oh, he worked on Love Lovecraft Country, After okay, Midnight, nice. Vampire Diaries, Scandal. So like, dude's been working, you know, a lot. And these aren't necessarily score credits, but they're like musician performance scores. Okay. Oh, a movie called Moog. It's a documentary about about the Moog. Uh, um, what's it called? Wee wee that thing, which uh, Aaron Moorhead plays in the movie. So yeah, but uh, <laughs> nice. really good stuff, and and just like with a really like skewed off kilter sense of humor that I just adore. So something in the dirt, my right number on. one. Um, it is available streaming now. I don't know if it's on any service, but like. I should, I, I'm waiting to buy the disc, but like, I just keep renting it. <laughs> so like it definitely support it. Yeah. Yeah. You can like get it on like okay, Apple nice. TV or something. Yeah. Sick. So okay, something yeah. in the dirt, yeah, highly recommend. Out. All right, you're up. Let's do it. Cozy Rye. Number one. If you're listening and you know me, you already know what it is. Get Number ready, one, Noah. After Sun. Right on. I, I figured this would be a great yeah. movie. This one uh, just swept me away. Uh, one I definitely have to speak to about it becoming like so, so when I got to watch it I, I knew really little of it I didn't really know Paul Mescal um re really at all except him being in what the lost daughter I think he was in I didn't get to see um yeah, I didn't see um, that yeah I didn't get to see the the show he was in either but nevertheless just 
no idea what's what's going to happen and it just really took my breath away and um and yeah as, as this one kind of like enters the uh everybody's end of year conversation for their top 10 and everybody's throwing it out this one is definitely a delicate film you know it's not like it's not overselling anything i don't think it's not like this big like boombastic thing either it's um it's just re really careful what, what it's doing it's at the same time a little bit ambiguous as far as what you think it might be portraying and it's not like laying everything out but um but for those who aren't aware it's just like a like a father-daughter story and the daughter's kind of like reliving um these these memories and um and i think somebody said it really beautiful on, on letterbox they they um this is kind of like what, what becomes the most impactful thing of the film and um like as we father follow the, the the father figure played by Paul Mescal uh, column there. And um, it's kind of like how we, we, we think these people fit in these like neat little packages, right? Or, or these people will need to be like, like your father is just, you ex have these expectations or like if, if they don't meet them, they're kind of like less, or this is more of like kind of having like all these parts of this person where they're not meeting these expectations, but you still have beautiful memories, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So just becomes like looking back on your past and, and um, which is just a really like current film for me too. And it's just like being appreciative of, of like what's behind you and, um, and, and really like that they kind of like did all that they could at that time. And, mm -hmm. um, and I like the idea of a film told through memory, like memory yeah. lived in real time. I think that's a really great framing device. Yeah. And, and eventually once you get to that ending and, and you see this, this kind of like, completely unfold and you get to get to see everything for like what the film is trying to do like everything's firing there like the acting the editing the the music choice is so expected and on point but so there's a needle too. drop in there that is like yeah top top notch stuff yeah yeah and it's like you, you you've heard this song more than a thousand times but in this context it, it makes so much sense that i just couldn't see anything else besides that you know Mm. but um but yeah and, and I, I think that um that uh, uh sophie played by frankie uh corio she is um like like the child actress of the year i think she just like just really like like um like what she's doing is just like she just feels so natural you know yeah it's weird to see a kid feel so worldly in the way that they're able to portray childhood like, yes, like she yes. portrays it in a way that I feel like only like a, someone in their thirties would have the wisdom to do. But meanwhile, like she is still of a child's age. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre almost. Yeah. And, and like, as much as it's about fatherhood, I think it's about like the childhood experience too. Cause these are both two people at the opposite, you know, arguably opposite areas of their life that are dealing with very similar things. Like Sophie feels like out of place with where she is and she's experiencing um, you know, like a love interest at the same time, um, feeling like she has like, you know, a failed father, but she's still there for her. And then like the, the opposite side of that too, where, where Colin is just not in the area of his life where he thinks he should be, but he's kind of just like doing his best effort. Like he feels like he's failing and, um, and just seeing like Sophie eventually like look back at that. You're not getting this concrete thing at the end where, I think this has become like a little bit more of a criticism about like 
what are exactly what we're supposed to take from this? Like, what is she yeah. like feeling? And it's like, well, just think about like what you're feeling maybe, you know, about like anybody that's, you know, also tried and failed uh, or things like that, you know? I find that like, I'm 38 now and I have distinct memories that when I do the math, I have memories of my parents where I go, wow, this memory is of my dad or my mom when they were younger than I am now. And then suddenly I start <laughs> yeah. to recontextualize the decisions they made both good and bad. And it all just makes that much more sense. And it makes me infinitely more appreciative of whatever their struggle was in order to give me what was, you know, warts and all a really, really privileged uh, adolescence. You know, like they, they gave me everything that I could have possibly needed. And yeah. so to see these things where I go, oh, this looks like a weakness on one of my parents' parts. And then I go, oh, they were 32 when I when they did that. Like that. Yeah. And then I think about what I what I was when I was 32 compared to now. And it's a wide gulf of difference. And I don't have kids. And after some like really, really captured this idea of like looking back and recognizing that that, you know, time stops for nobody and your heroes are just as human and just as on the same path as you are. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about like them just like them both being lost, you know, and, and that kind of speak to to really where I am in, in, in my time and just not really sure about my place in the world mm. and, and just kind of going through those motions. And, and when you see it from a child's perspective about like them not really having like the best semblance of like where they belong to somebody whose age is older, having the same thing, it just kind of makes you feel more at peace that you're probably always going to have these struggles yeah. and then, and then that it's okay, you know? So it's never like actually that, done. Yeah. So that it, I've seen it twice in theaters, made me cry both times. And as somebody who's not like a big, you know, into these tearjerker things, like the fact that it was able to move me twice in such a yeah. short span and of visiting it, I just knew that it like, it held this like number one place for like as long as I've seen it, right? And I think for like a drama that like could be accused of being weepy, I think it actually goes down really easy. Like yeah, it's, it's, it's a it's a good really watch. Yeah. yeah. My yeah, girlfriend I, I, said something interesting that I related to in this movie because um, we, we went to Ireland over the summer and she said, oh, there's a difference between a vacation and a trip. And we went on a trip and I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. We went on a trip. But that's work because you got to go hit the tour spots and do all that. Yeah, and a yeah. vacation is just sitting on the porch. And After Sun really does speak to that duality of like, you know, it's it's a vacation for her. For dad, it's a bit of a trip. Right, right. All right, we ready to hit our honorables? Yeah, I, I wanted to shout out a movie that I saw at the Philadelphia Film Festival that actually might be the, if I don't like bringing objective, objectivity into film criticism, but it might be the objective <laughs> best thing I've seen. Unfortunately, it currently does not have a release set up, but it's a movie called Rebel. Um, it's directed by hmm. Adil LRB and Bilal Falah, who did Bad Boys for Life, as well as Ms. Marvel. Uh, and um, But it is a movie about a kid getting radicalized into terrorism. But uh, the way it was described at the Philadelphia Film Festival, it was not on my schedule. But at the intro for Christmas Bloody Christmas, one of the reps was like, we're playing Rebel again tomorrow. It currently does not have distribution. Uh, you need to go see it. So I moved my schedule around just to see it. And the way he described it is he said, 
imagine if a Michael Bay movie had really good characters. So I was like, all right, fucking <laughs> sold. And so it's like, yeah, okay. Uh, not I only is that. that accurate, like it is action packed, but it's like a two and a half hour, very characteristically strong action epic that also is kind of a musical. Like there's a couple points where like one guy is like rapping and it takes the form of a music video. And then you realize like, oh, we're not watching a music video. We're watching him exposit what's happening from his point of view. And it's just taking the form of a music video. And like this happens a couple times. And I don't know how else to describe it, but apparently like distributors are like allergic to it. and They don't want to touch it potentially because it's sort of empathetic to the idea of like how one can become radicalized. But I don't know. All I know is that like when that movie ended, it was you could hear a pin drop in the room and everybody walked out and we were shook. And I wanted to put this as, as potentially my number one or two slot, but because I don't know if it's being released, I just figured I'd shout it out, but, and and it sucks. They were going to do Batgirl too, but that got canned. So like really just like a rough go of it for these two filmmakers, but like, I hope rebel gets released and I would love to have more people see it and I would love to watch it again. So just wanted to shout that out. Uh, the remaining of my of my honorable mentions that I had were Top Gun, uh, Decision to Leave, which I think uh, we say a lot of things are Hitchcockian. I think that this I almost want to go back in time and call everything that's Hitchcock Chan Park Wookian because this was so good. <laughs> yeah. uh, Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, I thought was fantastic. Uh, it's goofy, but it's supposed to be. And then on the first half of the year, I, I talked about this movie called Pleasure. Um, by Nina Thyberg about the young woman getting into the adult film industry and um, it's a really incredible movie Uh, I just left it off my list because I already talked it up in the first half so those were some of my honorable mentions Uh, you got any that you'd shout out real fast before we wrap it up yeah um, one that made my 11th spot that I had to slide off was Halloween Kills which uh, ends as or halloween ends yes i gave <laughs> thought as, to this one too yeah as someone who's not like all overboard with with the halloween franchise having something that's so completely different just sold me in every way um the if next you, one is, uh, if you have a chance pick up the novelization of halloween ends because it's written by one of the script writers and i read it and it'll open that movie wide open for you it's fantastic i'm, I'm so into it okay yeah uh, another one, All Quiet on the Western Front, which oh, I think has, I might watch that tonight. Uh, it has a beautiful, beautiful score. I think the opening sequence is literally my favorite sequence of the year. Um, nice. Uh, just a really, really solid film, though. Um, another one is is The Worst Ones, which is um, kind of like a mockumentary um, about picking out the worst children to um, to have in your movie. Okay. And, uh, it, and that's it's, really it's funny. funny it's funny but it's messed up and it shows kind of like how like a director's control is not always like sentimental you're literally trying to find like the worst children to do documentary about um and that play I, uh, it took, and that was really good i've never even heard of it but i just wrote that one down that sounds cool yeah um the the five devils which um oh, which i got that. to see and that that stars um i'll butcher her name so the one that plays off of leia sado and um blue is the warmest color okay it's a it's a very french film um but the way that it's presented has like a like a science fiction element in it it. that's really cool that's one of the movies uh, that i moved out of the way to see rebel 
that was a that yeah, was a, a film yeah. fest sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'd definitely like it. And then the five that's kind of like crept up as I watched it uh is Ennies Men. Um it's it's uh by the same director that did Bait. I didn't see it, but um Okay. But it's it's kind of like a like experimental film that's picked up by Neon that will no doubt be their like outlier of their filmography. And um I think that'll get more of a wide release next year. But um it's it's really strange, but it actually has a plot to it if you're willing to dig a little bit. And uh it, it's it's kind of really out there at the same time. But spell but that, that for me. Uh E N Y S space men. Okay, I've never heard of this, but I'm totally yeah. into this. Okay. Yeah. It might it might spin your wheels, but then you know, talk to it with somebody or just like talk yourself through it. And I don't think it's as hard to 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 pin together as maybe some make it out to be, but it, it's definitely an experience. Very I, slow. I like bait <laughs> and um I I like my wheels spinning. So I'm into it. Oh, right on. Okay. Yeah. Nice. I love when I can find a movie that I that I haven't even heard of. Yeah. But yeah, so I also want to say thanks for having me on on the show, oh. Dan. This this uh, this pipeline of of this being the first movie podcast I listened to, uh. kind of like like helped my trajectory in the film. That like I wasn't really in those spaces of film fest and like what was coming out, but like circuit wise. So like having that to be start and then like circling back and and this kind of like capping off a uh, arguably like extremely incredible year is like it just me- means a lot to me so so thanks right for having on. me on it means a lot for me to for you to say so uh this has been a turbulent year for the show what with garrett having bounced and all and me trying to figure out what it yeah. all is so like i really like 2023, appreciate you so we're gonna be rocking. this is it you, and you also your, your co-host open invite to come back on i mean you were yeah, a natural for, sure. for this this is fantastic so like we'll yeah. de- i'll definitely have you on again but that I means a lot for you to first. say yeah nervous hey, at first but then i realized like i I talk people's ears off every day about this stuff. Yeah. So it kind of just comes naturally in, in ways. That's so. how the show started. We were like, we're going to have this conversation anyway. We might as well like just record it and see what happens. But yeah. right on. Much appreciated, man. I thank you so much. Um, I will put links to to whatever you want uh, in the in the back half and in the show notes. But Brian, thank you so much. This was just like the best. And I you 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 make my head big it's it's wild to, it's wild to think anyone listens let alone enjoys so i appreciate hey, you, you sticking have, with the show if you have a few people it it, it kind of creates this close-knit community and you only need a, a few people in your circle to feel like something of value you know what i mean so, so right yeah it's, it's awesome right on. yeah thanks man yeah well happy holidays and uh we'll be in touch shortly all right man yeah you have a good one peace all right peace out <laughs> And there it was, the top 10 movies of 2022. As always, you can follow the show at Movie MovieCast on all of the things. You can check out my website, scullyvision.com, for everything that I do. You can also check out my other podcast, Hot Property, at Hot Property Pod on all of the things. Please like, subscribe, share with your friends, and join us in the new year where I will be joined by my new co-host, Stephen Richards, as well as some exciting guests, and we're going to take some deep dives into some 
awesome cinema. Uh, once again, thank you to Cozy Rye for joining us on the show, joining me on the show. I keep saying us. It's me. Uh, Steve's coming, then it'll be an us. But thank you to Cozy Rye for joining the show. Uh, such a wonderful conversation we had. Some great movie recommendations from him that I would like to check out. And hopefully we were able to provide to you a list of movies that you can check out. Again, shout out to my buddy Noah at Plus Two Comedy, who has his work cut out for him. And um, I guess as we sign off, most importantly, guys, have a happy new year. Party hard, but party safe. Please, please, please don't drink and drive. There are so many ways around it. Call an Uber. Call a Lyft. Call a cab. Call a friend. Just don't get into a drunk driving accident. No matter how much money you make, it's just not it's not worth the money that you'll spend on a DUI. And it's not worth the uh, moral uh, failings that you'll have if you run over a child or an adult. Adults are, are just as unexpendable as children. And honestly, if a child's out on the street on New Year's Eve, then I think there's probably an adult to blame. But still, you shouldn't drink and drive. But have a happy new year. Please tune in in 2023. I can't wait to reconvene with everybody and get this show back to where it should be. So uh, thank you once again, and I love you all. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. And please, if the film gods are listening, release Rebel. <laughs>